20 pounds from Death Valley, I give you The Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker, the mystery partner is now revealed. I never heard of him. Oh, take oh, it. Holy cow. Look at the size of that ham hock. I hear we have this new guy. Needs music. Undertaker. Okay. Uh, what kind of music? Well, uh, I don't know, but he's a dead guy. And, you know, it's like, well, what are you supposed to think? He's a dead guy. I mean, he's actually dead, so we're not even going to see somebody? Or, No, he's like seven feet and wears a black leather coat. So I tried all sorts of stuff. As is frequent in this process, when you're trying to find something, you generally don't find it. And when you kind of relax into what's right in front of your face, the information that's right there, the answer reveals itself quickly. And, and that's what happened in this case. I thought like, well, okay, it's a dead guy. So he died. It should be something uh, sad and uh, mournful. And I played this incredibly delicate little, just a, high like this. So I think, how do we change that into a theme? It's got to be, you know, some gigantic church organ and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And then I thought of the death bell. I ended up combining two different bells uh, with a bass guitar note uh, for that big, you know, sound. You think about guys who have great entrances, Undertaker, they carry this attitude and charisma out there, and they just let that kind of sweep over the crowd, which it does. And then in the backdrop, just like a film, is this soundtrack that's happening to that guy's charisma. And when those things come together, it's an incredibly powerful thing. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots, or was it only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you have to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? 
Well, do you, punk? Alright guys, thanks for hitting download on the latest episode, episode 4 of season 4, as we take a look at The Undertaker. It's the New Blood Rising podcast. We're journeying through the streak, or, you know, basically the streak. We call it the streak, and it still always sounds weird to say the streak, because it includes matches that are technically outside of the streak, too. It's The Undertaker WrestleMania, is the better way to describe it. That's what we're. Oh, don't blow the ending! God dang it! (laughs) God damn it, no! Oh, some bitch loses. Is that what Uh, you're telling me? I'm William Rankin. I'm joined this time just by Charlie Stabile. How are you, man? <laughs> it's just me, man. It's just me. Yeah, yeah. it's you know we admit and Martin had put it out there. Hopefully, we're gonna be, we're gonna be getting Martin back around season five. You know, he's got some things he's taking care of on his end. We actually were gonna have Jason on the line with us, but he had a family situation that kind of that came up, you know, last minute. So. He wasn't able to be on the line for the recording today, but you know our, we're, we're definitely thinking of him. We're hoping everything is going well with him, and we hope to hear absolutely. You know things are going well with him in the in the near future, and he can join us for the next pack of episodes that we'll have with episode five. Well, he better. Well, God dang, we need. Some- <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, I'll tell you right there. That's the episode where you want to be there. It, in all seriousness, that's, it, it is. It like, really is. It's. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not to it's not to kind of bury the lead of this, you know, because this is. Oh no, not at all. This, this is, is a hell of a pack, dude. It is. <clears throat> it really is. So, uh, but again, we're hoping to be closer to full strength in terms of our uh, podcast members on the next episode. But you know, again, our thoughts are with Jason. We hope everything's going well with him. We we hope to hear from him in the near future about how things are going. Um, yeah. The New Blood Rising podcast, of course, is a part of the Questionable Endeavor Network. Uh, Quest. QuestNetwork.com uh, is where you can find just a host of different podcasts. One of, of course, our favorites. It's our. It's almost like our brother podcast, and with a raw attitude podcast. Henry is now. He is. He's getting closer and closer to the deadly game, which is such a. Again, <laughs> can't say enough how what cool a build. that is. It's what's been fun to listen with uh, the raw attitude pod recently is. The whole the whole charade of rock becoming a face and how you are so into it, it makes sense. 
you want it, the crowd wants it, they get it, they love it, and then boy do they get the they boy do they just they, they get about faced in a hurry come uh, come that paper. We've we've touched on it before about um, how shocking that was uh, to go into school Monday morning and you know not not having ordered the pay-per-view, but everyone talked about it, you know, cause, cause everyone, other people had ordered it. And they, and they told, when you heard the news that the rock had turned heel and that, and that he was the champion, I mean, it was, it was one of the greatest uh, heel turns of all time because nobody saw it coming because he was a face for about three weeks and it was what everyone wanted. And, you know, I honestly, I sometimes wonder about it, man, like what might've happened if they'd kept him face because that was about the most I ever liked him uh, as a wrestler and, and, you know, as a talker was about that three week period where he was in between. And and you really saw that this guy's a superstar. And I think it's somewhat overshadowed uh, by the fact that, you know, they, they try to do it in a typical way, like the Montreal screw job. Yeah, uh, where it has the same ending sharpshooter Vince McMahon rings for the bell. But it's really just the nonsensical part of it where Shane McMahon turned on Austin, which was even more shocking simply because it just didn't make any damn sense. <laughs> no, especially like one of his, uh, I believe it was Henry's last episode where they, um, it's Shane's big, big emphatic promo. That's he, he is seceding from his father, so to speak. You know, he's like, I'm going on my own. And it's a, it's a heck of an emotional How great was promo. that? Yeah. How great was that? Because we had a McMahon. For the first time, we had a McMahon that we could root for, and Shane was awesome. Like when when uh, he finally broke away from that Sunday Night Heat commentator role, yeah, and and just he was an immediate like uh, instantly likable on screen character, and you know, that image of him flipping off Austin and Austin, it was like the quarterfinal too, as I recall. It wasn't even the semifinal, and Austin en- ended up just having an awful night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if, I think fully rolled him up. (laughs) Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Austin like come out at the end and stun the rock? Yeah, I think he did. Um, I think that's what he did. Yeah. Because I mean, looking back on it, you know, 2020 hindsight, it was so obvious that they, that they should be building towards Austin versus rock at WrestleMania. Like, like, and and somebody had to be the heel, but it was, it it really was heartbreaking um, as a child to see the, a guy that you really got behind and a guy you really liked that wasn't Austin ended up going with Vince McMahon and the corporation and, um, the deadly game tournament. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is memorable simply because I remember like being really hyped for it because it was the first time they'd done something like that since, uh, WrestleMania four. Yeah. And you like that kind of tournament because it seemed there were so many guys in there and it's, and, and, and WWE had such a stacked roster in 98 at the end that it seemed like anything was possible. And, you know, granted, you wanted Austin to win, but Mick Foley, I mean, like, not to understate him, he was a great character. He was still like, on the up. And, of course, I, that, that pay-per-view made him in a way that— It really did. It definitely built the sympathy. Yeah. It built the sympathy I, big time. I think sometimes, like, we just assume he got thrown off the cage and he was immediately a superstar. And it's like, no, not really. <laughs> We went back to not caring within two weeks. Yeah, but, of uh, of of McFoley doing that because That's unfortunately, true. like he, he for the most part couldn't be on television because I kn- obviously he was healing and they couldn't do much because he had been so badly damaged. But it's that it's that paper. It's the sympathy that's built for him. I mean, the fact that he's wearing the suit, the suit shirt. He shaved you know, his goatee. Yeah, I mean, it's you can just see like it. You, he's the 
he's the, I guess the lack of a better word, the redheaded stepchild. Like, you know, he's just kind of been discarded from the corporation that, you know, in a way, like he helped kind of ignite because he's part of the first rung of Austin's feud against the quote unquote yes. corporation with the over the edge and unforgiven pay-per-views in, uh, earlier in the year. It's such a good show. The dude loved Tupac. Yeah. And I'm I, I actually sure. was talking to, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, the next night is it, it. They do such a good job with the fact that the next night on Raw, I think Austin fights Rock, and you just assume, oh hell yeah, he's gonna get it. And no, that sets up the Undertaker feud with him. I think. I think. Yeah, where they fight it. Um, they do a buried alive match at um, at uh, fully. What was it? What was that December pay per view? It's Rock, Rock bottom. bottom. Rock, Rock bottom. bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where December just became the pay-per-view where we just name it after whatever's popular in the WWE at the time. Right, right. And, and, <laughs> DX in your house. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I, I, it's it, that pay-per-view, it sets up one of the best WrestleMania builds of all time, I think. The Rage and Climax, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, and, it, um, oh, it was dude. really that whole three-month period. Uh, I love that we're talking about this. This has nothing to do with the street. No. But from, from Royal Rumble 99, which people shit on that rumble so much i remember i was never more excited for a royal rumble in my life than royal rumble 99 simply because austin and mcmahon had drawn one and two and and they had been so smart they never did the match so they had not really been in the ring right in that kind of situation it, it, it had it had almost happened on a raw where austin had his hand tied behind his back yeah <laughs> that, <laughs> that was that, man, that was like about a year before with Mick Foley as yeah. Dude Love, yeah. and and then like remember that right after that the, the Rumble where Austin loses very next round on Raw they had Judge Mills Lane, you know say that Austin and McMahon were going to fight in a steel cage at one of my favorite pay per views of all time, which was the uh, St Valentine's Day Massacre. Let's back up. Do you, do you remember like how they because the next night McMahon comes out he's gloating he's excited, you know I I um, I. I I beat Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm the winner of the Royal Rumble. And he says, I waive my rights. He says that. That's yes. critical. because That the, was the mistake. Because then, like, <laughs> somehow Steve Austin had gone down to San Antonio where, like, a very intoxicated-looking Shawn Michaels. Oh, Shawn Michaels. That's right. They're at the bar. Yeah. Or, like, on Austin's ranch. <laughs> it's the weirdest-looking <laughs> group. Because, like, they don't look How like they're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look like they should be even in the same room together. Like, like I remember even like at the time, like they hang out. Yeah, it just that's that's weird. <laughs> and, and remember, Austin says like, because 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 Shawn Michaels says to him, he's like, because you wave it, the person who now is going to WrestleMania is Steve Austin. And and it's because like, he was the, the second to last. Exactly. Yeah. And I love Austin's line. He's like, I'll, I'll put it up in a cage match if you face me. You know, I was like, "What? You're you? No, don't do that." Because you know, our instincts like, "Don't if you've got it, you've got." Please it. go to Mania. Just, I just want you to go to Mania. Yeah, and that's what and, made that's what made Valentine's Day such a good pay per view because you were just waiting for him to get screwed because it just seemed all too convenient that he just beats the shit out of Vince McMahon, but he does. And and, <laughs> and it's one of the uh, I remember being so excited. It's one of the greatest finishes of any match I've ever seen. Uh, it, it, it went off. I mean, Michael Cole, like not knowing what to call Big Show was is is a detriment. But when, you know, throwing him into the cage and the cage breaking free. And I remember just sitting there as a kid, just just let go. <laughs> just let go. And, and Austin did it. And I mean, I went through the roof. I would like that little three month stretch. I ordered all three of those pay-per-views. That was the first time I'd ever done that. Um, Royal Rumble, uh, 
St. Valentine's Day and WrestleMania 15. Yeah. That, that, you know, we always talk about, you know, uh, like 98 as having just an amazing, you know, like like stretch of great uh, pay-per-views and great Austin matches. But from Royal Rumble to WrestleMania 15, I mean, that was arguably like the best time for me, at least, to be a wrestling fan. I mean, it was just so good. Unfortunately, I didn't order Backlash and I wish that had been the WrestleMania match right, right. that he had had with Rock, because I, I love that match. I feel like it's kind of after Backlash, and of course Owen comes oh, after it's, Backlash. It's, That's yeah. a, but well, it's it's after. Well, that. I did order, I yeah. did order Over the Edge. Yeah, and uh, you know, and had to you know witness the Owen Hart situation, and that pay per view is uh, it's not good. I mean, and it, it's really no fault of the wrestlers. I mean, even Austin and Undertaker. I remember it's one of the laziest stunners that Austin ever gave and and to the Undertaker and and it was you know overly convoluted with Vince and Shane both being the ref yeah and 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 Vince turning on on Austin I think uh, at at the end it was just it was too much and and then they blew it and then of course you've got King of the Ring with the with the handicap ladder match that we're still waiting for the resolution of right it was Nikki Bella (laughs) Uh, it was no oh goddamn (laughs) But I, I knew it. It's it's that's such a good period. I pretty much like I would argue from I'm going to say December 97 all the way through like May, maybe. OK, no, no. April, April of April. 99 is just stellar. Not all it, of it. it. Really there are parts where it's a lull, but overall. But, but do you agree that like. Your excitement, like, and this is weird to say, but your excitement for the company and your excitement for the WWE is, like, first and foremost, what's Austin doing? Absolutely. That was it. And I mean, it really was. I, I, yeah, right? I can't be in the camp of people that say that WWE in the year 2000 is my favorite. It's not. Oh, no. No, because, I mean, you know, they tried to make The Rock, um, you know, to use a modern interpretation, it was it was very much like... the. the they were pushing the rock down our throats in a very similar way with of Roman Reigns and not to compare the rock and Roman Reigns. You know, I loved, I loved the rock, but, um, it was, I was just waiting for Austin to come back, you know? And, and that was my whole problem with that. Yeah. That's, that's exactly <clears> you what know, I it's felt. like, yeah. And not, not to say that there weren't great things like the Royal rumble in 2000 is one of the greatest Royal rumble pay-per-views, yeah, I think. Absolutely. And, um, you know, WrestleMania 16, 2000 is is not good, but Rock had an amazing match with Triple H at Judgment Day, uh, the Iron Man match, um, where, where they where you were just like, boy, I hope you know there's more than just one pinfall, and it ended up being like five to four, and it was the Undertaker's return. You know, like that was a solid match. Yes, definitely. And it was really like when I think of 2000, you know, I think about the Rock and and how he basically had to pick up where Austin left off. But I also think 2000 for me was really the year that Triple H went into his own and, and became basically the game. Like, he truly became the game. Yeah. And and that's the Triple H that we look back on and go, man, that guy was a great wrestler. You know? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's it, it, there's a lot of good things that happened in 2000. But unfortunately, like, for the most part, not one of them is Steve Austin. And that's the tough thing. Is like, I know. I understand how good Chris Jericho, I understand how good Chris Benoit and, uh, and Eddie Guerrero and the tag teams, all of them are. It's just, you know, it was, it was a, the, the, the product temporarily kind of evolved away from what had brought them to the dance, so to speak. But then again, at the same time, like the same attitude 
you know, pun intended, um, you know, was there. But, you know, it, basically, we've just given Henry the we've just got to give him a roadmap. I'm so sorry. The- like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I thought of that. I was like, man, I, I don't want like this is not an in-depth coverage. This is just based off of memory. Right. Uh, you know, so it's not like we did any research to talk about this, but it's such a great time to talk about. Last thing I'll say about it before we move on to the streak. Uh, at least on my end, um, I actually had a, I, I got into like a, not not really a debate, but like a conversation on Facebook with some stranger about basically Mick Foley's role in the year of 2000, and and basically the way I felt about it is that Mick Foley, like when they talk about the ultimate underdog, which is an overused cliche in the world of professional wrestling, first and foremost, I do think of Mick Foley, and I think about like Royal Rumble '98 uh, where they did the Deadly Game tournament, and and just. Like, how did this guy make it? And that was that for me, that was his real appeal. He was a normal dude. And and you really believe it. it's not like John Cena. Like you look at John Cena on the street and you're like, there's no way he's an everyman. But Mick Foley was just some guy. And that's what's so amazing about him. But th- it all has to do with that retirement match that he had against Triple H, where I remember that promo where he said that if he were to lose that match, it wouldn't be a retirement like Hogan's or Flair's, where he would come back like within a, a couple of weeks. And he's like, like when I, if I lose this match, the retirement's for real. And he lost it. And the match was pretty good. It wasn't as good as the Royal Rumble match, but it was still good. And it was a great way for him to go out, and you felt sympathy for him. And unfortunately for me, that was the last time I felt sympathy for him because they plugged him into that WrestleMania 2000 match, and he came out of retirement. He didn't just come out of retirement within a couple of weeks. He came out of retirement and main-evented WrestleMania. Yeah. And, and it felt like a sellout. And I and for, and we we've ragged on Foley in recent times, but like my turning on on Foley um, has basically started right around that time, where it didn't. Re- that's where for me he lost that everyman quality, and he became a company man because yeah, you know, as as uh, you know the dirt sheets have told us, it was supposed to be Chris Jericho yeah. uh, in that part, and and you know for whatever reason Vince wasn't high on him. You know, having buyer's remorse, basically, and just plugged in fully. Although the, it's great, though, if you I think it was on uh, Monday Night Wars, maybe or Triple H talks about how fully just said, oh, I just need to get through this match so I can take my kids to Disneyland, yeah. you know, because <laughs> they're in California. And then, you know, of course, Mick Foley, which I love that they put it in the in the old video game as a WrestleMania moment. Foley completely botches the table spot. <laughs> and it's actually one of the moments that you can recreate in one of the 2K games. And then Triple H just hears Foley go, well, there goes the Disneyland trip. And, and, and Triple H had to do everything he could not to laugh. <laughs> the last thing I'll say, he, as, as easy as it sometimes is, people say um, Triple H's best rivals, like Shawn Michaels or something, it's Mick Foley. When you go back before them, yeah. when they were feuding in 96, 97. The cage match. Yeah. They, uh, at they, SummerSlam. They got a lot of really good matches from when they were mid-card ascending up into and 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 those matches you talked about in 2000 the uh, the street fight and or was it a street was it that's that street fight at yeah. Royal Rumble 2000 I believe in Madison Square Garden it's yeah. one of my favorite matches and the pedigree into the thumbtacks yeah like and, and then that hell in a cell those matches they they really make Triple H legitimate as a that's main it. banner and Absolutely. I wish that they had had the confidence I just wish I had the confidence to main event WrestleMania 2000 with Rock versus Triple H. Yeah. Because that's that's what it seemed like the match was going to be. And then it's a fatal four-way. And worst of all, there's a McMahon in every corner. And which it's was, like, so this is just about the McMahons. Yeah, which was dumb because it came down to Triple H versus The Rock. Like, 
Right. It just came down to that because it was elimination, as yeah. I recall. And uh, and I remember like looking at Big Show going, <laughs> Big Show's being brought up by Linda. He's not going to win this. <laughs> just... <laughs> wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. Shane brought out Big Show. Oh, no, Show. sorry. Linda, 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 was, <laughs> Linda, Linda was Mick Foley. Yeah. Sorry. So I'm sorry. It was... I mean, I mean, you didn't think Big Show was going to win anyway, but Mick Foley, like, because that was the other part too, was like this guy had just retired, and and Linda brought brought him out. It's like, well, what if he wins? He's just going to relinquish the well, belt. Well, they said it. That's what they, they they tried to they tried to put that out there that like Mick would pretty much just the, the title would go vacant because he would he would just immediately relinquish it because he's going back into retirement. It was like, uh, and, and and you know what's funny? People have pitched that same notion for Undertaker who. I promise we're going to get to shortly, but they pitched that. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> we're 18 minutes in. And we still haven't so, gotten so to the undertaker. Sorry. So sorry. But, um, uh, or more because of the intro, but anyway, the, um, that ending has been pitched. I mean, they've never really done that ending where a guy will win the belt and then immediately ditch. I think they've done it with Trish though. Vince. If I'm not mistaken. They did it with Vince. Well, well, like Trish legitimately like left WWE. She wins the belt and then leaves. Like she retires. This is in that era that you and I really aren't. Wa- we weren't oh, watching, but yeah, she, I, I've I've heard about it. She yeah, wins it's... it and then she retires or you know leaves just shortly after. So the belt is basically vacant. So I think they've done it there. They have not done that very often. At least like with you know any any of the you know the, I, I think the world title at least in recent years. So okay, so what are we talking about today? Oh yeah, the Undertaker. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So goddamn. Is that who we're here for? <laughs> hey, man, you got about damn time you guys start talking about this shit. God damn. Jesus Christ, man. I wasn't involved in any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even at Anaheim. Yeah, even... what the hell was he? Yeah, I missed that mania. Was it any good? No. Why? Because I wasn't there. Shit, I was yeah. on a beach with Sarah on my throat. That's what I was. <laughs> yeah, I just had a great thought. Wouldn't you like to hear Undertaker do a, a, a like sing a version of Randy Orton's theme song? Hey, of, uh, <laughs> yeah, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah. Yeah. Pump a couple of crowns into the Undertaker and take him to a, a bar to do some karaoke. That would. Be... Yeah, I got a little ditty for you. <laughs> yeah, this is. <laughs> He just sings the songs of his WrestleMania opponents. <laughs> hey, y'all got aha? <laughs> if it's like something that doesn't have lyrics, and you just do the Jake Roberts, you can just... Hey, you know this one. <laughs> he points at somebody. Yeah, you know this one. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's like Carpenter. You know, you know you've seen Escape from New York. It's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, where where we're at with this, we're at episode four. So, this today we're going to be covering WrestleMania's twenty one against Randy Orton, twenty two against Mark Henry in a casket match, WrestleMania twenty three against Batista for the World Heavyweight Title, and WrestleMania twenty four where the Undertaker faces Edge in the main event of WrestleMania for again the World Heavyweight Title. So. It's a very important pack, and I'm going to get to that point later, but this isn't a very important pack of matches uh, for The Undertaker in terms of his WrestleMania legacy. So with really without further ado, we need to pick up where we left off. Our last episode, we finished with WrestleMania 20, which involved The Undertaker coming back as the dead man, ditching our favorite American badass slash booger red 
persona to go back to the classic Undertaker look. Now we gave, we, we harped on it pretty harshly in retrospect, looking at just how he, it didn't look like much had really changed other than the entrance, which was still awesome. But now we are heading into, um, we're, we're exiting WrestleMania 20 in the year 2004, heading into 05. So let us begin here. I, I'll tell you a good spot to begin is with, um, we got an email. That, and I was really impressed with this. Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America himself. I'm sure he gets that all the time. Can you imagine that? If you were, if you care, like I knew that there was a guy, I, I, there was a teacher at our school, his last name was Bond, and they had a kid named James. And I was like, God dang, that kid's got to have it. Oh, rough. come on. I, you're just setting your kid up. I feel, now, so Steve, this is nothing <laughs> against your parents. They're wonderful people, I'm sure. But God dang, you must... I wonder how many times you have to deal with that, especially nowadays with the Marvel movies. Anyway, Steve sent us an email uh, to newbloodrisingpod at gmail.com. Any of you, please send us email, your feedback on the season, your thoughts and opinions on the streak. He sent us one that has to do specifically with this build. And I like this because this is actually talking about Undertaker's opponent because it's really important in this case, like where's Randy Orton since he's just really a couple years into his run. He says, hey guys, thought I'd flesh out my tweets on the Orton match because, well, now it's, it's fascinating me on the level of how it's such an interesting time at the crossroads of one Randall Keith Orton. Granted, this is more for an Orton podcast. He suggested the Apex Predacast, which would make a great title. <laughs> as, <Hey! laughs> as this would have little to do with Undertaker himself, but like I said in my tweets, first aside from Kane, this is the first Taker WrestleMania match where the feud in one form or another uh, past past WrestleMania. No, I don't count cartoonish mid card crap with Giant Gonzalez and the Million Dollar Corporation and and just about all of them. It was the opponent's last big WWF slash WWE match for a while. But not only that, and here is where my hmm, this is interesting comes in. This aside from Kane, the first time that the opponent's story dominates the build of the match, or it's not. Not a situation like with Diesel and Triple H where they just needed to put two guys on the card and that was the basis of why the builds were started. You can say Flair as well, but you can say Undertaker still shared in it by goading Flair into that match. And the thing is, it is almost a telling situation of where Orton was within the card structure at the time. First, he's hot shot of the world with the world belt due to Vince wanting to erase Brock's youngest champ ever distinction. And after a great run as the Tully Blanchard of Evolution gets dumped by Triple H and turns de facto face. The title run is short-lived. In fact, it would only be another three years. It would be another three years in change before his next heavyweight title reign. And he quietly became a heel again then after losing to Triple H at the Royal Rumble. No idea about any of his behind-the-scenes incidents being factors in this cooling off of a major push. Though, to be fair, wouldn't shock me at all that this would lead to a growing... To the growing of a shoulder, or a, a, a chip on the shoulder, and a dickish attitude. So, based on the Foley feud from the year before, the newly turned Orton gets saddled with a quote-unquote legend killer gimmick, which is all fine and good, but in a way, it gives the character more of an aura of why are we caring about you trying to take a name, trying to make a name off attacking and being a dick towards retired and part-time performers. That was all in quotes. That was a that was breathy especially throwing Cowboy Bob in the mix as a second. Almost like Orton can't fight his own battles. Well, clearly this means he has to pick a fight in Taker's yard. God dang right it is. 
Granted, <laughs> he was still on the main event level, but when you consider the same night his OVW class contemporaries, John Cena and Batista, were capturing their first world titles, here he is in the first act of what would be a great feud with a veteran, but with no titles on the line. So in a way, it was a step down for Orton rather than any sort of elevation. I don't know if the Taker feud, especially Bob's role, influenced future Orton bookings, but considering Orton has rarely been booked completely on his own in long-term main event level angles, either as a tag team, part of stables, etc., but it wouldn't surprise me. In fact, for a guy that's been in a company, as long as he has, he remain, he really hasn't had a quote-unquote the moment of WrestleMania moments in a given year that he's uh, walked off with a World Heavyweight title from the event twice. Anyway, enough rambling out Orton. I guess watching the match really made me want to consider where, where he was at the time and what the future would hold for him. It was a good email from Steve because it made me think a lot about it too because I remember Randy coming off that world title and how he became phased temporarily. He dropped the belt very quickly. He then just kind of meanders like kind of in this weird funk in the mid-card. And it really isn't until really that they start doing that legend killer gimmick that it really starts to build towards this Undertaker match because he kills like a ton of dudes. On the way to Undertaker, you remember? I always remember Charlie? Jake Roberts. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Jake, Jake Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Look, because yeah, we—I wasn't watching at the time, but going back, it was like, look at all this, look at all this shit that I missed. Like Jake Roberts came back, and 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 he and he RKO's Jake Roberts, and it, it's really, it, it, it's almost disgusting in a way. I always remember the, the in the video packages, Randy Orton spitting on 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 the um, on the legends, like whether it was Mick Foley. Or Jake Roberts, like he spit on everybody, and it's just like, ugh, it's so disgusting. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, like, again, I th- and I'm not sure. Like, this is a, this is one of the the first of many. I'm saying it's one of the first. I'm not gonna say it's the first because I could be wrong. But Orton challenges Undertaker to break his streak. Now that becomes a theme of many WrestleMania matches. That we're going to be covering. That becomes the basis of why people want to wrestle the Undertakers. They want to break it's, the streak. It's like the, it's like the first time. I think it is. That, yeah, because it's not the first time we've heard about the Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania, but it's the first time that it, it seems like it's a, it's another wrestler's goal. Yes. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it, and and and, th- and that's that's where the importance of the streak really comes from. Is is really it starts in this match. I think with Randy Orton and with Randy Orton having conquered all those other legends and it, it seemed obvious that he would go after Undertaker and it seemed like like this is a guy who not only wants to win but he has a reason to win and this would absolutely solidify him as a top uh, as a top player if he could topple this streak that you know we've sort of flippantly been aware of right. uh, for the last 10 or 11 years yeah <clears throat> Undertaker's journey from 04 and 05 is interesting because not long after, we know not long after WrestleMania 20, Eddie Guerrero will drop the belt to John Bradshaw Layfield, the new JBL character. And that, you know, that nearly, is it, it's like almost a year, is it a year long? It's pretty close, right? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty long. It's because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) As, uh, as Paul Heyman put it, um, and, and from what I've heard, it's one of the worst title reigns. <laughs> I, 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 I can't verify that. In some ways, uh, like, although like, the thing they kept building beautifully, though, was like, who's going to take the belt off him? Because the next guy's got to do it, right? Well, it doesn't happen. Like he And, it, and, and the reason I mentioned JBL in this is like it just seems inevitable that it's going to be The Undertaker. 
The Undertaker, like, you know, he, when you look at some of the things he was doing after WrestleMania 20, he, he's wrestled, he's, he, uh, he wrestles Booker T. And then this is when heel Paul Heyman orders the Dudley boys to kidnap Paul Bearer. Thus, the, the Heyman, quote unquote, takes control of The Undertaker. And then at the Great American Bash, he, he had to, he had to fight off the Dudley boys in a in a handicap match with the stipulation that if he didn't purposely lose, Heyman would literally bury the Undertaker in some or bury Bearer in cement. It's just the. <laughs> but then what's so weird is that he wins the match. He stops Heyman from burying Paul Bearer, but after claiming Bearer was more of a liability, he had no he had no use for him, and then buried him himself. It's like oh my god, well god dang Paul. Yeah, that's what we call a swerve. <laughs> But then the um, I I know he and Bradshaw they have a title match at SummerSlam, which Undertaker loses by DQ. They they again have um, they have a last ride match at No Mercy, which what? I really I I don't even I Undertaker don't, has another gimmick match that I'm not aware of. Yeah, but he loses because Heidenreich interferes, and then <laughs> and then he has to beat Heidenreich at Survivor Series, and then he's again coming after. The world title. Now, remember, Armageddon, I think, is where everybody thought it was going to happen because it's a fatal four-way where it's um, it's Eddie Guerrero, Booker T, Undertaker, and JBL all for the belt. And somehow, somehow, it's it's still JBL who comes out the champion. Now, we know where his road is. He goes on to wrestle John Cena at this pay-per-view. But then it's... Uh, Dominated. But, but Undertaker and Heidenreich have a little feud at the... They have a match at the Rumble where... I think Undertaker sealed Heidenreich in a casket for a victory. <laughs> and I don't uh, think he's I think he's still in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't well, think remember, he ever got out. He got out just in time to wrestle Doink at a uh, a Golden Corral. Oh thank God. That's right, the Golden Corral match. Yeah. And then <laughs> it's at that point <laughs> Beware that, of oncoming traffic. <laughs> <laughs> he gets he gets challenged by Orton then for the title. So it's it's a weird year because it seems like, you know, he's he's on the road to being the champion, but they just kind of they're kind of keeping him away from it. So you have this match then set well, up. This is and, good. Um, well, go well, ahead. Go well, ahead. Well, I was just going to say, before we actually get into the match, like let's talk about WrestleMania 21 as a whole, like real quick, because Undertaker's involved in this. Oh, so, yes. I know. Some, good call. Uh, yeah. I almost forgot about this. So WrestleMania 21 goes Hollywood, and uh, which is weird because they've gone Hollywood before. They just didn't acknowledge it. And uh, they so <laughs> it starts with, and I watched it. It's one of my favorite uh, opening videos to any WrestleMania ever, where they reenact scenes from classic films. And um, I hate to shit on JBL. Well, no, I don't. I absolutely hate JBL's delivery of uh, for his "A Few Good Men" scene. Uh, where he just, where he just, you can't handle the truth, and just, oh. Yeah, you know, it's just that's the best you can come up with for him. But it's the Undertaker's that is just incredible, and it seems truly like, like in in hindsight, like what his character basically becomes, which is basically Clint Eastwood. He's the old dog that's always reliable, because they have the Undertaker do uh, the classic scene from Dirty Harry, and and he does it so well. But so, like, did you re, did you actually rewatch the video package? At yes. the beginning? Yeah, because there, there are a few of these scenes I forgot Undertaker about. Undertaker holds like, two different... Yeah. Oh, well, there's all the taxi drivers. Like, right. Which is weird, but yeah, that was basically... Well, we don't know what we got for you, so here you go. It's, it's weird seeing Chris Benoit doing the freaking uh, basic instinct scene. But why does Undertaker hold two guns? Like, like his gun changes. <laughs> like, at first... 
at first it was like a, like a rocket launcher or something. Like, and like that's not what it was. Right. And then and then it and then it becomes you know just the classic uh, Magnum uh, uh, gun, and it's it's really cool because the way that they shoot. This is where the WWE production crew just should get all the credit. They recreated the shots, the angles yeah. uh, from those movies. And Dirty Harry, uh, Undertaker, is just amazing in that little bit. And I really wish that we could have gotten more out of that. And, I, I mean, uh, of course, unfortunately, for me at least, it's overshadowed by um, the, what I think was the greatest of all, which was Stone Cold Steve Austin as gladiator oh my uh, god it's just, just i i am the proprietor of the middle <laughs> finger <laughs> i think i showed it to dad like a year or two ago and i was like watch this and, and you know and you can't quite tell how it's austin but when he does that middle finger thing and then th- throws his middle finger at my dad i remember going oh jesus <laughs> and I, tonight i unleash hell and then he just stares yeah it's <laughs> Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I want to know who that guy is that plays the greatest community theater actor. Oh, yeah, the guy's terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the guy's just, oh, this is weird. <laughs> the production quality is amazing. And, and this is kind of exciting. It's a great little theme to go with. Um, and I, just, I just wanted to touch on that real quick because it's, it is really cool seeing The Undertaker like step into the shoes of Clint Eastwood because I mean, you know, as film buffs, film geeks, we want to be labeled as a huge Clint Eastwood fan. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And to see those, to see those two married together. But yeah, you're right. The openings, uh, the, the, it is, I don't know how many times since then they've really nailed like setting up or really having this type of uh, video package set up for a WrestleMania. It, it's kind of a, yeah theme because yeah. it really doesn't have much. To, it really doesn't have much to do with um, the mania itself, with the exception of the few good men scene, where it's John Cena and JBL, you know, and and they're you know doing the Tom Cruise Jack Nicholson parts, like because it's not like Undertaker's talking to Randy Orton, right, right. Which you know, so, that would but, have been awesome if they had done that. That would have been kind of cool, but I think. I think, you know, even in a way, it's like even more so than John Cena and JBL, that, would, that might have been exposing the business a little bit too much. Like, <laughs> you know, just these guys hate each other. Well, let's reenact the scene from uh, Dirty Harry. You know, let's, uh, let's see if we can get that going for him. So let's get into this match because it's, it, it's one of the – to me, it's always the one I go to first on this card, believe it or not. Like I don't really – I'm not as into the, the title matches. I'm into this match. And it was fun to come back and, and revisit this one. So kind of take us through this one. Okay, so, um, and this is going to be prevalent throughout the, I might as well just say it now. I think The Undertaker was really worried that he was going to lose in all four of these matches. Because why? <laughs> he brings the Druids oh. every single time. <laughs> 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 like, I'm like, by the time I got to the third match, I'm like, Okay, he was worried about Mark Henry. He's worried about Batista. Okay, it's just because the Druids was just a, a random thing. It was like WrestleMania 14 and I think 20, and then all of a sudden it's just I need the, I need these guys on, on my beck and call at all times, <laughs> and and <laughs> it's so funny like to see them come out. Like I can understand honestly, three of these matches 
Mark Henry, I mean, <laughs> he was just mortified. Like, I'll tell you, man, I don't know if you've looked at the track record, but these casket matches usually don't work out too well for me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna call from the bullpen and get the. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny just because you're like you're waiting for the gong you're just waiting for the gong and the first thing you hear is oh, oh, oh. And, and, like, and it's oh, the same track oh. they don't change that track at all it's the same <laughs> druids theme music and i swear i think during this randy orton match i think i saw one of the druids chewing gum <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure one of the druids was chomping on some uh, on some big red and uh so so Undertaker, Undertaker comes out, and of course my my excitement for the match immediately dissipates with the fact that Taz and Michael Cole are on commentary. <laughs> just, just almost not so much Michael Cole because like this is this is this is tolerable Michael Cole, but you still got to deal with Taz, and I'll jump on his ass later. But uh, he doesn't. He, he, it's not too bad. The match itself, um, it's it tells a it's a really it's a really good story. Uh, there's a couple of spots that that kind of. Uh, worried me, <laughs> for lack of a better word. The old, I've I've always remembered two spots particular from this match, even before rewatching it, that just looked so strange. Uh, Undertaker goes for old school, and I guess Orton has never seen this move before, <laughs> and, and isn't aware of exactly what the hell the Undertaker is doing. Like, is he going to jump <laughs> off the top and just give me a Frankenstein?er I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> This is cracking me up. And Watch this, Randall. Just yeah, so he just basically thrusts his cock right into his face, and and and, and Orton just okay, that'll do. And he just and he just collapses, and and that's one thing. But it's really the, uh, and I don't know what the plan was because they covered it so well that it's it definitely seems like it could have been part of the plan. But uh, when the Undertaker goes for the last ride, yes. and and yeah, yeah, and it. And Orton falls backward, like, way too far. like Or he jumps too high, and Taker can't hold him up. And then just Orton just sits on his face for a hot minute. And, uh, like, whatever hey. comes after, because that's when Bob... Yeah, yeah, hey! <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, it's... It's 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 really it's really it's really funny, but that's when Bob Orton decides to come out, and and it should be noted like Bob Orton's role in this whole thing. The video package yeah. kind of told a little bit of the story with Bob Orton, and I actually really loved it, where Bob Orton was basically begging the Undertaker uh, not to attack his son and, and leave him alone. And you know, my son's basically my son's an idiot; he doesn't know what he's asking for. <laughs> and like that's what it sounded like, and it was believable. And then Orton just comes out of nowhere with an RKO, and Bob's like, "Yeah." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was good. You know, like, like there's some great, great spots. I love the choke slam into the RKO. I mean, it doesn't look perfect, but I mean, it's like that was like for me the beginning of wow, he can really hit that move from any any direction, any angle. Um, I love. I miss Taker's Dragon Sleeper, and he he breaks that out at one point on Orton. And I mean, and it just looks dangerous as all hell, especially coming from a guy the size of the Undertaker. Um, so we've got a, a pretty good match going here. And then uh, who 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 is it? Who is it that decides to make the match about himself and just ruin this whole fucking thing? But Earl Hebner um, <laughs> doesn't he? He takes a ref bump in this, right? This is the one where he takes the ref bump. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, it is one of the. And Earl Hebner, I'll give him this. Like as much as I shit on him, he is a great ref bumper 
Like he is uh, like amazing at taking some of these bumps. This is uh, one of the worst bumps I've ever seen uh, him take. Where Orton basically just, I mean, looks like he just, I don't know, just blew on him. He's <laughs> and 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 Hebner just, oh shit, you know, he just get Dave. It's all hell. Yeah, get Dave. <laughs> and he just collapses. Uh, Orton goes for a tombstone, which, which I mean. Watching these matches in a row kind of diminishes like the power of a moment like that, yeah. and the fact that Sid is the only one who's been able to do it uh, is really cool. But Orton goes for it, screws it up. Taker tombstones him. Hebner, who has just been uh, just immobile like for most of this match, and and kind of quick with his counts. You know, once again, you know it's the end of the match if he's taking his time with that count, and just like one. Two, I'm like, oh, I guess this is it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Hebner knows the finish. That's great. And so, Taker gets the the pinfall, uh, and then just, I think he just makes Orton or Bob Orton eat it again, like right after. I think he just big boots him, <laughs> and, and it's great. I love him just, especially knowing what we know now about. Uh, the stuff that Bob Orton pulled in that Hell in a Cell match. We'll get to that. that which is that'll be a part of the build after this. But yeah, I definitely want you to chime, right. I want you we, to mention that in a little bit because that's good stuff. We do. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're going to touch on that because as much as I like this match, uh, that Hell in a Cell match is a classic. Yeah, that's what's uh, good with him and Randy this, Orton. This is another like uh, uh, sort of like Kane at WrestleMania 14. This is a kind of a first act. For these guys, right? But it's weird; like it doesn't pick up right away necessarily. It takes some time for them to come back to it, which is good. The question I had for you is: What do you think of the RKO out of nowhere spot, out of the choke slam? Oh, oh, oh! I thought I, I thought I talked about that. I don't. Know, I don't. It's. Oh, it's it's great. It's um, it's it's very unexpected, and you can even tell that from the crowd. Um, it, it doesn't look perfect, and I think that's just because of the Undertaker's size. Yeah. Of what he has to do to make it look believable. But yeah, so he picks up Orton for the choke slam and Orton is able to spin out of it and just RKO him. I, and it's the way they, the yeah. way they fall. It looks really cool. It's one of those moments where it shouldn't look clean. Right. It shouldn't, it shouldn't look perfect because of, of what Orton's having to do. And it definitely looks like that that could be the end. It looks rough. Uh, it looks yeah. really rough, but it doesn't look like, like botch worthy. It just looks like a rough, like uh, and like a rough interpretation of it. Wouldn't it have been cool though if he'd done it out of old school? If he had figured, they'd figured out a way to do it. To like I he... said, I don't think Orton had ever seen the move before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is, is he doing? If they had worked <laughs> that just out, like, can you imagine, like, if because everybody figures out after a while, you just jerk the Undertaker off the top rope. And, As and, Jr. used to eloquently say, right? <laughs> Triple H just jerked off the Undertaker. <laughs> what? <laughs> but like if he had done it and Taker knew to kind of go a little bit more horizontal with it and Orton could I think that would have been cooler. I bet you though a le- a la- like a later day a latter day Randy Orton could have done that. Yeah, and probably know. made it safer too cuz I mean that like that that would be a dangerous move to try to do uh, with it cuz first of all Undertaker has to clear the ropes yeah. like in terms of how he how he can land his his 6 foot 10 frame. Yeah. You know, so that he doesn't get tied up in the ropes. I mean, like a lot of work would have to go into that. But um, overall, though, uh, I, I really do like this match. Um, it's it's solid, and it really, for me, is the first of the 
I need to break this streak match. Yeah. And and it sets the tone for the next basically the next nine years of of, of Undertaker WrestleMania matches. I would give this match uh, a six and a half six out of ten. Half. Yeah, I'm right at seven. Mm-hmm. I think this is. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and this is difficult because this obviously isn't the Predacast as Steve Rogers put it. But is this is this Randy Orton's best WrestleMania match? Oh man! Um, I will say before I answer that this is my favorite time period of Randy Orton. Yeah, uh, where he sh- where I thought he showed the most character, and I thought he was the most interesting. Because I mean, I don't care. For, I've never cared for the Viper. You know, it's I, I I like him like this, and and when he had a personality, uh, just off the top of my head, I I would have to say. I would have to say yes, that, that this is his best showing. And, and this is only his second WrestleMania yeah. um, at this point, and he's already fighting The Undertaker. And, you know, you can throw nepotism into that, I mean, if you want. But Randy Orton was always talented, and, 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 and I've always thought he deserved his spot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say this is his best match. And arguably, uh, this is his best feud is with The Undertaker. I was going to say that as well. Okay, I was going to mention that at the end because I was trying to draw some some correlations with the other matches too. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, let's revisit that at the end after we go through the other matches too because I think that may be true for other people as well. Um, okay, so uh, moving on from this. All right, so after a two-month hiatus, The Undertaker returned on the June 16th episode of SmackDown but lost to JBL after er- interference from Randy Orton. And then this next part, I mean, it's, it, it, it needs to be mentioned because in the greater scope of WWE, this was really wild that this happened. But in one of the most controversial moments in the WWE on the episode of SmackDown taped on July 4, 2005, the SmackDown general manager Theodore Long put Muhammad Hassan in a match against The Undertaker at the Great American Bash and placed Davari in a match that night against The Undertaker, who quickly defeated Davari. After the match, Hassan began to prey on the ramp, summoning five masked men, dressed in black shirts, ski mask, and camouflage pants. Armed with clubs and a piano wire, the masked men beat and choked at The Undertaker and put Has- and Hassan put The Undertaker in a camel clutch. Afterward, the masked men lifted Davari above their heads and carried him away. Three days later, the London bombings took place. The footage aired unedited on the UPN in the United States and on the score in Canada with an advisory warning, with an advisory warning shown several times during the broadcast. It was removed from the Australian and European broadcasts. The angle elicited national attention in the New York Post, TV Guide, Variety, and other major media outlets. In response to the criticism, UPN decided that it would monitor the storyline closely and that it would not want the Hassan character on its network that week. Hassan later delivered a promo to the live crowd for the July 14th airing episode of SmackDown, but when UPN announced that the segment would be edited, WWE decided to host the video of the segment on its official website. In the segment, Hassan reiterates that he is an Arab American and that American people automatically and unfairly assume that he is a terrorist. Despite being in character, he, re- he, he referred to the real-world media coverage of the storyline, singling out the New York Post's Dan Kaplan by name and announcing his description of the events on SmackDown such as Kaplan's comments on the uh, masked men being quote-unquote Arabs in ski masks. On the July 14th episode of SmackDown, Hassan's absence was explained by a statement delivered by his lawyer, Thomas Whitney, 
which said that Hassan refused to appear on the show until the Great American Bash due to the way he had been treated by the media and WWE fans. It was revealed in late in late July 05 that UPN had pressured WWE to keep Hassan off their network, effectively removing him from SmackDown. Undertaker defeated Hassan at the Great American Bash to become the number one contender to the World Heavyweight Championship. After the match, the Undertaker delivered a last a last ride through an open stage ramp onto a concrete floor to Hassan and after the match. It was reported that Hassan sustained serious injuries and had to be rushed to a nearby medical facility, riding Hassan off from television. Several days later, WWE.com hosted a video of a kayfabe announcement from Theodore Long where he reiterates the stipulation that Hassan would no longer appear on SmackDown. It was revealed that Hassan was going to receive a major push, eventually winning the World Heavyweight Championship from Batista at SummerSlam, thus breaking Randy Orton's record of being the youngest World Heavyweight Champion in history. On the following episode of SmackDown, The Undertaker lost to JBL in a number one contenders match, once again due to the interference from Randy Orton. With this, The Undertaker resumed his feud with Orton. At SummerSlam, Orton defeated The Undertaker in a WrestleMania rematch. The storyline intensified as the two taunted each other with caskets, leading to a handicap casket match at No Mercy in which The Undertaker lost to Randy and his father, Cowboy Bob Orton. After the match, the Ortons poured gas. Well, so this is your big mistake. You poured gasoline on the casket and set it on fire. When the charred Whoops. casket... Guess what happened, Charlie? When they opened the casket... The, under, the <laughs> Undertaker gone. wasn't there. He's always gone. <laughs> he, yeah. re- he returned. That, that's just how the Undertaker's blood reacts to gasoline. He's just like, oh, perfect. That turns me into steam. Yeah. He returned to the Survivor Series emerging from a burning casket. The Undertaker returned on SmackDown in early wow. December to haunt Orton and set up a Hell in a Cell match at Armageddon. After winning the match, Undertaker took a brief hiatus from professional wrestling. <laughs> I think I ought to do it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you've seen that Hell in a Cell match, I mean, you would, you would believe it. Like, that guy deserves a vacay. Yeah. yeah, real quick, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to run to the WrestleMania, and then we'll backtrack to the Hell in a Cell real quick. In, G- in January 06 of the Rumble, Undertaker returned during Kurt Angle's celebration of his World Heavyweight Championship defense against Mark Henry on a horse-drawn cart, signaling for a title shot. As part of their storyline feud, The Undertaker lost his match with Angle at No Way Out after a 30-minute match. Undertaker cornered Angle after the match and told him he was not finished with him. However, during a rematch on SmackDown, Mark Henry attacked The Undertaker from behind, costing him the title. This led to their match at WrestleMania 22, where Mark Henry also vowed to end The Undertaker's WrestleMania winning streak. And this was also going to be yet another casket match. Whew! So, um, Charlie, real quick. My the, God. That, that, I forgot about the, Muhammad, the Hassan stuff. That was some wild stuff that they did in the summer. Yeah, it was interesting, uh, you know, not, not once again, not watching it at the time, but hearing about it and hearing about that character and and just I mean, even even having divorced myself of professional wrestling for four years, I still just kind of threw my hands up and I'm like, you know, Vince has been doing that for years. You know, I mean, he, he, he will take a world event or something that's going on. And I mean, there's no really other way to say it, but. He profit. He's a war profiteer. <laughs> like, like there's there's just no other way to do it. Like look at look at WrestleMania seven. Like that's that's a great example. Look at the Iron Sheik, and uh, and, and look at look, look at what that represented back in the eighties with the you know with the Iran Contra conflict and stuff like that. Right. Uh, like it's 
it's he's always done that and and the thing that the thing and this is i mean i i don't like it that he does things like that but at the same time you know people don't look at wrestling like we look at it when we look at wrestling we see it for what it is like oh it's just a one hour or two hours scripted uh entertainment show you know it's you know, this is in the mid 2000s, man. You know what? You know what else was hot in the mid 2000s uh, for scripted television was 24. And 24, this was what they always dealt with. They always dealt with Arab terrorists and and Jack Bauer kicking their ass and and you know making America safe. That that was the whole thing. And in in many ways, WWE at the time with the Muhammad Hassan storylines isn't that much different from 24. Not really. No, it's just and, but, it, it, the problem was just they, it, the timing couldn't have been worse just with the London bombings happening after they had taped that. Which, oh, absolutely. Which that, that totally yeah. killed it. And UPN, I mean, and I, and I don't blame them. I kind of understand like they're in a position where you have advertisers that are probably like, yo, we don't want any part of this. And so well, they're like, ah, but yeah. Well, in WWE's defense, I mean, the very first episode of 24 that aired in 2001 the very first episode has an airplane exploding at the very end of the episode with a terrorist parachuting out of it. And they delayed that premiere yeah. uh, three months because that had been filmed in, I believe, June of 2001. And, of course, September 11th happened. Right. And But Fox still aired it. They still aired it, but it was in, like, October or November. So the people don't look like outsiders, people who don't understand professional wrestling and think it's just a big goofball show – with a bunch of uh, over, over, you know, big uh, non-athletic guys trying to act, uh, they don't understand that it actually is scripted. And Muhammad Hassan was a heel, and y- you you do boo him, and there is somebody that is going to fight him and beat him. And America, in WWE's history, America always wins. It's, it's always it's in WWE's blood. Yeah. But that doesn't that doesn't negate the fact that was it insensitive of 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 Vince to do that or to do the Sergeant Slaughter uh, heel turncoat character back in 91. No, it doesn't. And and this is really a, a right or wrong issue. And is it right that Vince profits off of this stuff? No, it's not. But at the same time, they're not the only show that does it. It's just that for some reason, professional wrestling has a stigma against it where people will look at it differently than any other scripted show. Yeah. You know, you still... You still see, I still look at them just out of curiosity. You still go on ESPN uh, Facebook comments whenever they post something about pro wrestling. And what's usually the top two or three comments? Oh, the fuck? It's fake. It's fake. Yeah, it's just fake. Yeah. And it pisses me off so much. I'm like, oh, is that fucking right, Einstein? You know, you crack the code. I never knew that. I guess I'll stop watching it. And they don't fucking understand. They just don't get it. And, and and yeah, do I think it, WWE should have some kind of deal with ESPN? Absolutely not. I think that's ridiculous. But that's that's not for me to say. That like ESPN allows it. WWE wants it. They both profit from it. That's their business. Is it athletic? Is it a sport? I do think it is a sport to a certain extent. But, yeah, like people just – it's just fake. You know, they, they just go off on these tangents. And it's like you, you, you don't understand. You just don't get it. You don't get it, get what it is. And I'm, I'm sorry, like, I'm going off on this tangent. But, I mean, it, it, it is like fucking clockwork. It never fails. And, and there's always, like, 40 replies. Like, And I'm like, oh, I wonder what these are. And, you know, usually, like, like 8 out of 10 is, 
is basically it's basically like 37 different versions of me going out there and going, oh, you, you watch uh, you watch Game of Thrones, don't you? <laughs> oh, you know, you know, there's no such thing as dragons, dickhead, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere Ricky Steamboat <laughs> cries. <laughs> but yeah, and. And, you know, like occasionally, like you, you'll read stuff like that and you're like, OK, that's an old argument. Yeah. Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, stuff like that. But occasionally, like there is a guy who will come in there and I'm like, that is absolutely true, where he'll say something like, um, uh, look at uh, the, the fact that a lot of, of pro wrestlers are former pro football players or or they, they've they've done collegiate wrestling. You know, they almost all professional wrestlers do come from some sort of uh, sport or athletic background. So. Yeah, like for for them to get so upset about Muhammad Hassan because they see a guy and they see two guys in a ring and they go, you know, it's the illusion of reality, but they don't understand. Like it, it, it really is just a, a serialized television show. And if they're going to yell at that, they should yell at something like a 24 or a Homeland or, you know, one of those types of shows that characterizes and demonizes these characters. And, and in, in 24's defense, my favorite thing was always the fact that usually at the end of one of the seasons, you'd find out that it was all orchestrated by a rich white guy, uh, which is the old Chris Tucker thing. Follow the rich white man. And that's what he always said in Rush Hour. And that's usually what it turned out to be in 24. It was basically just uh, Rupert Murdoch, his character, or like the, you know, like or what, what the hell, Jeffrey Price from Tomorrow Never Dies. You know, it, it was usually a character like that. So... No, like for them to bitch and moan about Muhammad Hassan, I think that's bullshit. But at the same time, Vince should know better. But I think Vince likes it. I think he likes that attention, even though, well, we're sorry for the insensitivity or, or you, know, you know, WWE is a family entertainment show and we, we didn't think through on this. You knew, they knew exactly what they were doing because, you know, any news is good news. And being in the news is what's important. If it bleeds, it leads. And it's free advertising. And it gets people to watch the product. It's interesting. So. It's interesting that they picked the Undertaker to be the guy that they were gonna attack and assault. And I think it's interesting that his he kind of gets mired and he gets it's kind of stuck in this this feud for a little bit. And it's just like it, it's just something to kind of bridge until they can get him back to Randy Orton. And it's just you know when you when you look at where Undertaker's been since coming back as the Dead Man, like. We riffed on like, man, he's just he's wearing the same pants. Like he's not even doing anything new. It's like, we're just well, that's kinda... from the wrestling fan standpoint, right? You know, like, like that's what we see. And it's... Yeah, you know, which is the stuff that you should be critiquing. So go ahead and talk. Like, uh, go ahead and touch on the Armageddon match, the Hell in a Cell, Randy Orton thing. Because you're right, it's it's an awesome match, but there's a little bit of nice like outside the ring stuff that ties into this. So it's incredible. Uh, apparently, um, I don't want to be wrong on this, and I know that I know that you know more know more about it than I do. But basically, Bob Orton was HIV positive, right? Is, is that what it was? Hold on, let's. <laughs> it, I mean, is that it? No, no I don't think right it was. It. Well, what? Well, what is? It's something like that. It's <laughs> HIV positive. No, There's it's, something it's, wrong it's, with it's hepatitis. <laughs> oh, it's hepatitis. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. You know. It's, so it's hepatitis. So you saying Bob Orton was in rent? <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Imagine Jesus that. Christ with his cast on. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> dude, that arm's the least of your problems. <laughs> but okay, so he has hepatitis. Sorry, and um, he 
you know, this is the kind of information that you have to divulge uh, to the higher ups, you know, so they know. And because, I mean, honestly, I don't even think they'd let you in the ring uh, if they knew that because of the dangers of the disease spreading. You know, if you were to bleed and re- professional wrestling is a physical contact sport and all this stuff. Well, he didn't let anybody know. And he bled like a freaking pig in that match. I mean, he bleeds so much. Undertaker just beats the shit out of Bob Orton. And Undertaker didn't know. And the match is bloody as all hell anyway, like between Undertaker and Orton. And it's super violent. It, it's just really intense. And it's a, it's one of the great Hell in a Cell matches, I think. Basically, uh, so after Undertaker gets back, he basically finds out about the hepatitis and just unleashes verbal hell onto Bob Orton. And I don't think Bob Orton was ever involved in another angle. I don't think he was. Uh, certainly not with The Undertaker. Uh, I mean, he, he refused to do any business with him whatsoever. Uh, so, I mean, that's basically the extent of my knowledge on Cowboy Bob. I think he got released you know, fairly early into 06. Like, so he, he definitely was not around uh, long. But, yeah, that's a, you, nailed, you put the nail on it. Everybody bled in that match, and everybody got covered in each other's blood. And so, of course, The Undertaker, like, I completely understand why he'd be you know, livid about it because nobody knew or not the, I guess not enough of the right people knew about what was going on. It, it, the thing that's shocking is, dude, I, I'll tell you this, Undertaker probably could have had, like, it, it's shocking he's stuck in a stupid casket match at Mania when it's like, dude, this guy had WWE by the balls. I'm sure he could have sued the crap out of them yep. or something like that. And yet he doesn't, or I don't know who, I don't know what got worked out. I mean, something had to have gotten. Well, we've never heard Randy's side of the story either. Yeah, that's right. We've you, not heard you know because Randy, mm-hmm. Randall would have been in just as much uh, danger and in, in, in jeopardy as as Undertaker. So I, I've, I mean, I know it's his dad, but I, I got to imagine that Orton didn't know about it either. Yeah. Randy. Yeah. And so I mean, I mean, who, who knows at the end of the day? I mean, basically, you know, it all worked out, and Undertaker stayed with the company, and it is kind of a miracle he didn't sue. But I mean, I think that just shows you. Uh, what kind of guy that uh, the Undertaker is? And yet he gets in, in the, his next storyline is against. You Here's know, your thank you. Here it is. So Charlie, take it away. We're in Chicago. It's big time. It's WrestleMania 22. Uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is a. Uh, this is. This is an interesting mania. I, I always remember this mania, oddly enough, for the uh, Money in the Bank match where Matt Hardy superplexed Ric Flair off the top of the ladder, and it was ungodly. Like the way that Flair landed and his screams, like I mean, and they and they carted him out. Like that overshadowed the entire mania for me. Uh, the fact that Ric Flair would take a bump like that at his age, and and you know, always worried about his back. Yeah, you know, this uh, so this mania itself, um, like this is, uh, I believe this is Triple H versus John Cena in yes. the main event, yes. where everyone hates Cena. I remember and. Triple H does this really pathetic type tap out in the STFU and, and you can just hear like the, the air and the audience just leave because it seems so it seemed like Triple H was going to win that match and Cena was just unstoppable. So so the Cena hate train is, uh, you know, <laughs> heading down the track at full force. But, you know, right in the middle of it, we get an Undertaker streak match where he has to fight the world's strongest man, Mark Henry in a casket match. And I'll get this right out of the way right now, dude. I have never liked a casket match. I've never liked it. I don't, it's just, there's hardly any drama to it. Like I remember the first one, the first one that I can recall was when he did, when he was, when he went against Yoko, 
And that was interesting because it was like, how is he going to get Yokozuna into that casket? And that was kind of like the drama of the match for me. And of course, there was the one with Sean where Sean ended his career basically with that back body drop. But the casket match for me always seemed like a build to a, a, a match that was going to happen later. You know, it never seemed like a, a final type thing. And, um, you know, Mark Henry, like it was, it's interesting how he was one of the attitude leftovers, uh, the attitude era leftovers. And he just kind of stuck around and, and, and found a way basically to not get future endeavored because I mean, like Mark Henry was never like, even in his peak, I don't think he was ever fully over. It was well, with a contract. You remember here? Remember that man? They gave him like this obscene contract when he came in in '96 or whatever. I think it was '96. When he was at the Olympics. When, yeah. It's like a ten-year after contract. He, after he got out of it. And then when they realized, you know, oh, this guy doesn't have much to offer, and what they were thinking at the time. That's why there's this. It, and uh, this is one of the things that's always been passed around that they were trying to get him to quit. That's why they gave him these stupid storylines like with the hand, with Mae Young. Oh, sexual chocolate. All that stuff because they were thinking this is gonna, this guy's going to think this is ridiculous and quit. Well, he doesn't, and he sticks around. And, of course, now he's he's technically still with him. I don't even think he's retired yet, is he? No, no. And it's nothing against the guy. I've met Mark Henry, and you know I've, I've actually posed for pictures with him before. He's a really nice guy. Uh, he's terrifying to stand next to. I mean, you really don't know how big that guy and, and is. And his thing with Cena, that retirement promo, is one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and you know, Mark Henry, he can deliver. Yeah. When he needs to, it's just I never thought he was a main eventer, and the, and the, and the, you know, and I think it was around 2009, 2010. That was when they gave him the world title, and and when he was, um, you know, when he would wore, wear the red uh, jumpsuit, and that was around the time like they they would try anything with him. I remember they 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 tried to team him up with. Um, MVP, uh, MVP, yeah, and, and they had matching uniforms, and it was like, well, maybe this will work. For this is interesting. Cause this cause, uh, this little thing here with Undertaker seems like a dry run for the Hall of Pain, that whole the, run. Yeah, see, that's what I remember. Like yeah. Hall of Pain was like his peak, like when he put Jerry Lawler through the table, and Michael Cole said that Jerry Lawler was suffering from anal bleeding, <laughs> and <laughs> which just found out like Vince McMahon told Michael Cole to say that because apparently Jerry Lawler was just as pissed about it as I imagined he was, uh, you know, just because that was during the Michael Cole is unbearable years. <laughs> but but yeah, the Hall of Pain. And it's like, like this is this is the precursor to that. And and Mark Henry, I mean, now the match itself uh, going into once again, the uh, taker takers in fear for his life. Uh, he. <laughs> He, he he calls he calls out you know <laughs> from the bullpen gets the druids to come back and um, the match itself I mean this is this is basically a for the time a, mo a more modern version of of you know the, the monster match that he would have like with King Kong Bundy and stuff but it's better than th than that um, at least for what it is uh, the the match Mark Henry he he doesn't have much to offer in terms of a move set or Honestly, I, I believe storytelling skills like once the bell rings, like that's when the storytelling for me, at least with Mark Henry goes away because Mark Henry's face kind of kind of tells the story leading up uh, to the match. And the, uh, uh, before I, I really dive into the match, this is when I really want to call Taz out for his uh, <laughs> bullshit commentary. I actually had to write out the entire thing of what he said because I didn't want to screw this up. But when Undertaker's coming to the ring and, and Mark Henry's there, Taz says, and this is a quote. Nine out of ten times, this is the point before the match 
that Undertaker's opponents lose. Pause. Because they're in fear of the dead man. What? <laughs> well, then why not just leave? <laughs> like, like just and if you leave? go... <laughs> just, like, he, you, they see him come into the ring and go, yeah, I'm not walking out of this one with my hand up. Yeah, nope. It, it, it's just... It's just one of those things where Taz tries to be poignant and, and have a moment, like a JR type moment. And, um, you know, like his Stone Cold's 18 year or eight year journey or whatever. And, and, and if you listen to it the way Taz says it, he is far and away not sure of what he's saying. It's like, it's like that old quote from The Office. When I start a sentence, I'm usually not sure how it's going to end. But but I know that I have to get there, and and that's how it comes off. And 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 he kind of he tries to continue. He's like, oh, as you can see here, Mark Henry, he uh, he doesn't, uh, and he just kind of pauses, and and Michael Cole just lets him go. <laughs> you're on your own, Taz. Uh, you're on your own. Uh, so so let's let, so I'll, let's get into this match real quick. So Mark Henry, why the fuck does Mark Henry need to do a ten count punch? I mean. It, it, it's so obvious now, like what the ten count punch on the Undertaker's for, and uh, and and it's I think all four of these opponents in this episode go for it, all of them. Yeah. And Mark, Mark, seeing Mark Henry on that second rope, like one, two, I'm like, oh Jesus. And Taker, I I love this too because this was like when I think back to the ten count punch on Undertaker, it's oh he's got to give the last ride to a guy that he actually can't lift anymore. And Mark Henry, he certainly can't lift. But I still love the Undertaker still trying to do the, I'm going to give you a wedgie right before. And, then, uh, <laughs> and you know, make, make you really think about your choices in life. And then I'm going to drop you. <laughs> and uh, he tries and it just, ah, fuck it. And he just drops Mark Henry. And, I mean, it just looks incredible. It, it's, <laughs> it, I got a little work. It reminded me of uh, when the Giant gets Jack Knife by Kevin Nash a little mm-hmm. bit. The scariest powerbomb of all time. Um, I think for me, the, like I, when we talked about this off air, The Undertaker is really good in this match, especially in the last three minutes. I am beyond impressed that he could not only leap over the top rope to do a dive, but he cleared the casket. Yeah. And I mean, I just came out of my seat. I, I was so excited when he did that. I was like, that was just so unbelievably cool. Um, I do like question casket matches sometimes because like, oh, all right, time to open the casket there, Nick. And, <laughs> Nick, Nick, and, and Nick Patrick will open the casket. He'll try to get him in. It won't work. So then they work away from the casket and then the refs close the casket. And, and I don't know if it would just be better if the casket was just always open. Yeah, you know, it's just like I don't know why you need the refs there necessarily to just open the casket, close the casket. I wonder like, how it just, much. I wonder how much it obstructs the view from that side maybe. of the ring. Well, granted, it's also uh, it's huge. It's also on the entry ring. Uh, it's it's on the ramp. Yeah. So I, I I don't know, and and it's it's just weird to just like see the wrestler like just pummel a guy, get him near the ropes, and then look at the refs and like kind of do a thumbs up in the air, like all right, up, up, yep. <laughs> Yep, it's it's time. It's like the old steel and cage, it, like when they used to ask for the door to be opened. All right, open that door. <laughs> another one, and just like that always seemed kind of goofy. Like, all right, let's open that door, see if I can get out. You know, they never they never get out. But um, Taker, 
delivering a tombstone to Mark Henry. And I'm just wondering how, how Henry's going to fall because Taker always is able to hold the guy when they land and then safely let them down. And you know he's not going to be able to do that to Mark Henry. The second that Taker's knees hit, Henry is going to have to tuck his chin and, and roll, basically, uh, you know, to get to his back. And it, it just looks amazing to see Taker do that. Um, and then, uh, honestly, my favorite part of the match is right is after the bell rings. Taker wins the match, puts uh, Henry in the casket, and then he walks up, and the Druids are waiting for him. And Taker is standing behind them with his head down as the Druids just stand there. And then Taker slowly, like, lifts his head, realizes that the Druids aren't moving, and then just, well, I guess I'll just go on my own. <laughs> 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 and he just leaves the druids there and just starts walking up the ramp it's so awkward i think the druids were supposed to walk up the ramp and taker was supposed to walk behind them but they just didn't do it and taker called an audible and, and just went up yep throw my hand up yep let, let him know you were there and <laughs> big then dog just, big dog yep my yard and he just what <laughs> gets up and leaves and it's just it's really funny uh the match <laughs> The match itself, it's not one of the worst, but it's definitely, I definitely think it's the worst match on the episode that oh we're my, discussing right now. Easily. Like, f- far and away, I, I would I would give this a, a four. <laughs> I think I had it just barely above it at a five. I mean, a couple of things. First of all, the, the little lightning thing in the beginning is clearly edited in post. <laughs> it's not in the arena. Like, you can tell because it's just the... the it doesn't look like it's in the building when they do the little lightning spot in the beginning when the Druids, or I'm sorry, when Undertaker himself actually makes the entrance. Um, I did look, at one point the Undertaker tries to belly to belly suplex Mark Henry, and I'm like, terrible idea. Why would you? Not good. Why? I, I, I thought I could get it, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been watching a lot of Magnum TA, and I'm like, man, I don't see why I can't add that to my repertoire. <laughs> Why does Tony Chumble have to explain the rules of a casket match? I mean, is it not like... I, and I went back and forth with this. I was like, well, maybe... And I was like, no, it's pretty simple. You put the other dude in there, it's over. Like, what yeah, the hell the, else? The hard think... part is getting the ref to open it. I guess, yeah. <laughs> like like, hey, so, Corderas, you're just sitting there with your thumb up your ass. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's time to open. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I went back and forth on that. I made a note of it. I was like... I don't know. It just seems kind of. It's the first guy to put his opponent in the casket will be the winner. <laughs> Typical Tony Chumma wave delivery thing. From St. Olaf. <laughs> <laughs> the part, oh, no. The part where the match goes downhill off a cliff until The Undertaker saves it is when Mark Henry goes for a pin. <laughs> after the world's strongest slam and you can see the front row just lose their shit like and it, it's you know something like that has happened so many times in a pro wrestling match i don't know anymore if it's a mistake you know uh, like the, the, the one time where i absolutely knew it was a mistake was i think i think it was uh when naomi tried to cover uh like i, I don't know alicia fox or something and she was on her stomach and, Cameron, 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 Cameron did it, and she looks at the ref and goes, "Count." <laughs> so funny, but it's, like that's the one time. Oh. But uh, but like like Savage, I remember clearly. Savage 
had covered Yokozuna at the 1993 Royal Rumble. And and this is actually like the best because Yoko just lifted him and cleared the top rope and that, and that's what eliminated Savage. So That's awesome. That's a good spot. <laughs> which that is an amazing spot because even if it was a mistake, that's a that's what that's the best cover you could possibly do. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'll just toss your ass over the top because I don't I don't know if Savage had ever actually uh, participated in a rumble up to that point. So like that made sense, but yeah, Mark Henry just like there's no ref in the ring and he covers Undertaker. Taz, tries to, or Taz or Cole try to cover for it by saying, oh yeah, he you know he's so used to going for the pinfall after this and blah. blah. It's like, uh, and then I what's even better is the fact that. I don't know if it was Mark Henry actively doing this as a choice or if he just forgot. Like, he gets up and he tries to, like, act like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why isn't there a one, two? Like, he, he motions like there's supposed to be a three count. Right. It's like, had this been a regular match, that'd be it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, that, that'll, be his, that'll be his bragging points. It's fake! <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I, I solved the case. No, not, no, not bad, Sherlock. That's pretty good. But it's it's the last three minutes, man. It really is. It's that last ride. It's that leap over the casket. It's the tombstone. Like it, it's all those spots that really like like really pull this match up in the end. And uh, yeah, again, right. I'm I'm with a I'm with it of just like at a five. It's 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 it is not terrible, but it is by far like the the worst on this show for this episode of uh, I agree of the streak. So. Um, now it's it's so all right. So we clear this mania. We've got um, we've got the Undertaker coming out of this with a win, but he's about to be launched into a really epic feud of his uh, coming up because the literally the next episode of SmackDown during um, during a rematch that Mark Henry and the Undertaker have, the Great Khali made his debut and he assaulted the Undertaker to um, transition him into a new storyline. The Undertaker was not heard from until the May 5th episode of SmackDown as Theodore Long delivered a challenge from The Undertaker to Kali for a match at Judgment Day. The Undertaker lost to Kali. If you remember, he loses, like, it is like, like it, it's incredible. He takes that chop, and I think Kali just stands on him for the win. It is like... Oh, it's it's awful. Yeah. It's it's really bad. And, and And once again, this is another one of those times, man, where you're like, Man, like this guy is all about the company, right? And 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 to to to, to do that for a guy like Kali, and I, you know, and you hope that Kali understands what that means for him, right. like like, and what what Undertaker did for him, because yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that. It just just how, just as a fan, how nonsensical that was, you know, like to see Undertaker do that for a guy that we all felt was unworthy. Yeah, uh, and. And, but but that, that that's a testament to Undertaker and really how much I love that guy. Yeah, that, that he'd be willing to do something like that. And, and he disappears. He disappears until the July 4th episode of SmackDown when he accepts Kali's challenge to a Punjabi prison match at the Great American Bash. However, Kali was removed from the match and was not medically fit and was replaced by then ECW world champion Big Show. In which, that real quick, that was... I believe Bobby Lashley's pulled from that show. There were a couple guys pulled from that show for quote unquote enzymes, and everyone pretty much I think had the idea. Oh, the enzymes excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. So, um, uh, in the storyline, Teddy Long replaced Kali with Big Show as punishment for an attack on the Undertaker shortly before the match. Kali was then challenged to a last man standing match at SummerSlam after interfering 
in The Undertaker's match with then World Heavyweight Champion King Booker. Uh, Kali refused the challenge for SummerSlam, though Long made the match official for the August 18th episode of SmackDown instead. The Undertaker won the match by striking Kali with the steel stairs, delivering several chair shots, and then finishing him with a choke slam. <laughs> wow. Well, naturally. <laughs> God damn it, stay down. <laughs> Jesus. Help! The Undertaker's next match was then with United States champion Mr. Kennedy at no mercy, but he was disqualified in the match after he hit Kennedy with a championship belt. Now, why would he do a thing? Why would he do that? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. On the November 3rd... I, I just can't beat him. No, I just can't do it, man. <laughs> On the November 3rd episode of SmackDown... The Undertaker reunited with Kane to reform the Brothers of Destruction for the first time in five years, defeating the reluctant opposition team of Mr. Kennedy and Montel, Montel Vontavious Porter, MVP, with whom Kane was feuding with at the time. As part of the storyline, Kennedy defeated The Undertaker in a first blood match at Survivor Series after interference from MVP, but finally defeated Kennedy in a last ride match at Armageddon. Well, we got another one of those, huh? Oh, no! <laughs> the two continued to feud. I've got to see these. I know. <laughs> I want to see like, a DVD set of these two matches. Don't ever go for the 10-count punch. Like, strike <laughs> that move from the repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that right there. That right there is a death sentence. I, I wish we get a network special on these matches. There's two of them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, History of the Dead Man. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that last ride match I've been hearing so much about? So, the two continued to feud into 07 as Kennedy cost The Undertaker two World Heavyweight Championship opportunities um, uh, at the, I, I guess, for a championship. Yeah, he cost him two World Heavyweight Championship opportunities for a championship match at the Rumble. That sentence is weird. The Undertaker won his first Royal Rumble match in January 2007 and doing so became the first man to enter the Royal Rumble at number 30 and win the match. Well, it, and that's the one with Sean. That's the one I've... I'll tell you, man. Yeah. I, 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 if... For anyone who's never seen it, it is one of the greatest Royal Rumbles simply because Undertaker and Shawn are basically the last two guys left for about 20 minutes. Yeah, they have a match. And they have a pretty... They basically have what is the prequel to the 25 match. Yeah. They, 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 it's all there, and it's incredible. And I think it's, it's in it's San Antonio, so too, right? I think so, yeah. I can't remember. And it's, it's, it, it really is an amazing display from them. And and I guess I like to think that you know everyone saw that and went maybe they should fight at Mania yeah. because the Mania of twenty five match is very similar to the to that final twenty minutes of that Royal Rumble. Yeah, um, the uh, the best part and they do this in the video package. So like when the Undertaker decides who he wants to wrestle, it's not like he just like gets on the mic and says it. He has every champion come out to the ring, including the ECW champion Bobby Lashley, which would have been yeah, he ain't awesome. If if he had challenged, I'm going for the ECW title. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah, that would have much preferred that. Just, wow, why not? <laughs> so of course hey. like he, he looks at Batista and does the uh, the throat slash to indicate that he's the one who's going to wrestle him. And then I think what he immediately choke slams him. Yeah, I, I think that that was the exclamation point on the, <laughs> on the sentence. Like, yep, it's you. 
So the main uh, the main feud on SmackDown was then between Batiste and the Undertaker over the world title. Undertaker won the we said he won the Rumble. And then on the February 5th episode of Raw, Undertaker chose to challenge Batista. Okay, after he chose him. In the weeks leading to Mania 23, Batista and Undertaker partook in tag team matches. In the beginning of the feud, Batista claimed to have great respect for The Undertaker. However, after several attacks by The Undertaker, Batista claimed to have lost all respect for him, especially at No Way Out, when Batista gained some payback by delivering a spinebuster to The Undertaker, allowing Raw's WWE champion John Cena and Shawn Michaels to deliver their signature moves on The Undertaker for their victory in an inter interpromotional WrestleMania 23 tag team main event. Well, of course. Why Undertaker keeps attacking him? It's hilarious. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> I am not a fan. I don't believe in evolution. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. I don't know what my position is yet on that. You know, evolution is a mystery. <laughs> I agree, Lemmy. Like, that is some poetic shit. <laughs> um, it was weird when I watched this, man, on the network, because what I would do is I would always go to what the last moment before the beginning of the match was so I'd get the entrances. And the first right. the first thing I see is Chris Benoit coming off the top rope with his uh, headbutt onto MVP. And the sound it makes, because it's in at Ford Theater, or not Ford Theater. Yeah, Lin Lincoln's there, folks. No, it's, uh, it's Ford <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln was assassinated at, 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 at the Undertaker's match. The Undertaker. So in the ring was the ECW World Champion, or ECW Champion Bobby Lashley, WWE Champion John Cena, the World Heavyweight Champion Dave Batista, and President Lincoln. Oh. <laughs> Lincoln went down. Um, so, but it, it was weird, man. When I this, the acoustics in that ring. Are, are pretty good in this and for this they're really good when you hear they're, Benoit they're really good. hit it's, and uh it, it, I'll tell you man it, it gives you pause because I I remembered I was like this is it this is like literally months before it goes yes, down yes it is and it and it's weird because JBL says this line he's like he says Chris Benoit is going to be going into the into the hall of fame not so fast my friend oh not so fast oh no and then no. and then of course I'm like okay well the match is coming right afterwards not so fast. The boogeyman attempts to sack the future president of the United States. It's oh, it's just, it's that um, it's that bit with Trump and the the girl and the boogeyman oh, yeah. shows up and Trump no sells it. That's right. It's in the uh, it's a, it's a backstage segment. I do remember that. Um, yeah. So it's it's weird because um, so I was watching these on an Apple TV and you can't just skip to a match. You have to actually fast forward and. I'm not going to lie. Like there was one match on this card where I stopped because I'm not going to lie. It's probably my favorite match on the card. And I, I can't really explain it. I just love it. But it's, it's honest to God, it's Mickey James versus Trish Stratus. Oh, well, it is. is I mean, there, of course there's that moment. I thought it was in Chicago. I thought that was 22. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh God. Sorry. 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 23 is uh Sean versus Cena. Yes. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So yeah, Mickey, Mickey James and, and Trish had their match at the at the pay per view before at uh, WrestleMania 22. You're right, that is Chicago, and I, I do love that match. It, sorry, so it was 24 where I watched an extra match, you know, because okay. it's just, you know there's there's so many things that you can pick from these, and we're just picking the Undertaker's uh, little moments, and so he gets so he gets to have his match with Batista here. Yeah, sorry about that. Just, no, 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 no. It's it, it this so. Um, which, by the way, 23's Battle of the Billionaires. Watching yeah. anything has to do with Trump, like before now, it's weird. 
like especially in WWE, it's a it's another one of those things where I'm like, man, where time would take us. But um, it's they do. I don't know if they were doing these all night. Maybe you saw some more of these that I didn't. But this weird Undertaker video with like this really awful Jim Morrison like poetry, and it ends with WrestleMania all grown up. What is that? Uh, yeah, WrestleMania all grown up. That's right. Um, is it because of the, it was the reference to WrestleMania three and it's you know twenty yeah, years see, later? Yeah, because so WrestleMania three was at the Pontiac Silverdome. And, you know, they tore that down, I believe, in the oh, 90s. Uh-uh. Oh, oh, I'm so glad you brought it up. Because literally, either this morning or yesterday, they tried to implode the Silver Dome, and the Silver Dome wouldn't sell. It did not no, implode. Really? <laughs> it wouldn't take? It wouldn't take. <laughs> you oh, man, that's video. amazing. You see it live. Oh, no, up. no, no. I'll look that up immediately. Because... Basically, the place is uninhabitable, and uh, I imagine that at WrestleMania 23 had the Pontiac Silverdome still been like uh, a sustainable place to hold an event like this, they would have done it. But that's why they ended up doing Ford Field, and because they, 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 you know, they wouldn't necessarily go out out of their way to reference it, but they were, you know, making an illusion that you know this was 20 years after WrestleMania three, which I mean, WrestleMania is one and two, yeah, like those are huge, but for a lot of people, like WWE really came into its own and became what it is today because simply of WrestleMania three. Yeah. So, so, so 23 was a big deal, uh, at, at the time I remember, yeah, I remember watching that, that at a bar in uh, Charleston, yeah. uh, you know, cause it was like, I have to, I kind of want to see this, you know, cause you know, the Donald Trump thing was interesting. Austin was going to be there, but, um, Undertaker and Batista, uh, this match, like the video package is pretty solid, but w- why in the hell is Teddy long? Uh, I don't know. I, and, and I thought he was going to turn this into a tag match. Right. And and I don't get why Batista is out first. Like, I don't. No, I don't like that either. I mean, I get that you want Undertaker's entrance to, like, be extremely important and, and to, like, so you can get reaction shots out of the guy that's in the ring. But I agree. I, uh, but I will say this. Batista's entrance is phenomenal. Like, like, I love his entrance. I love him coming out. He goes to each side of the stage and the camera follows him from behind. And he is getting an awesome reaction, and like this is like for me peak Batista. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, and it, like his little pyro spot, top three, one of my favorite pyro spots. You know, with his rah, 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 <laughs> like when he does that thing with his arms, I, I still do it back to the TV. It just gets me so excited for whatever reason. And then of course he gets to the ring and he does that stupid thing with the ring rope, where he just kind of Meh. yeah, he becomes Meh. yeah. <laughs> Here he does his ultimate warrior impression. That's just really lame, because it's even worse when he actually takes the ropes and starts shaking them. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, he just looks constipated uh, when he does it. Taker is indeed dog shit, and he knows it. So you know, I, I'm gonna need the druids again. I just gotta <laughs> feel them. And <laughs> druids come out. It's it's great. This is when I really begin to notice not just the evolution of the Undertaker in terms of a, of a competitor and a performer and a wrestler, but it's also the evolution of the Undertaker's chest. Uh, it's starting to look weird. Oh uh, yeah, it, I know what you mean. The, you know what called, I'm talking it's old about? Old guy chest is kind of what I've it's heard. It's old called. guy chest, and it's weird because in his younger days we never really saw his chest. Right. It's just at, the older he got, he's like, well, whether you like it or not, <laughs> I'm going to show it to you. And he's like. This is what Asian really looks like, and it's like it's like his little, his, you know, his straps or whatever holds everything up. It just keeps getting lower, and it's like, oh man, what's going on up there? And uh, so, so there's 
there's that um, the match itself. I love the choke slam counter because it's not even really a counter. Uh, I believe. Um, oh, what does Batista do to get out of the choke slam in in this match? Because um, I want to. Because I'm getting them confused. Oh, he I pulls say the hand off. That's what it is. He pulls the hand off. I've never seen that before. I don't even think Kane had done that uh, up to this point. And and it gets a great reaction from the crowd because they're they are ready for that choke slam. But the second. Uh, Undertaker break uh, starts getting his hand taken off by Batista. The crowd, you can hear them changing, like, oh, no. And it looks great. Uh, Taker, once again, does another dive through the air. Batista sets up this long, convoluted, what the fuck is he doing? And, and it turns out to be an ungodly British bulldog-like power slam uh, through the table, which just looks unbelievably dangerous. Uh, for Undertaker to take a move like that. And, uh, and this is around the point where Michael Cole is just absolutely losing his shit. Yes, he does. I mean, he is at a 12 uh, <laughs> with his... Com- like, he is up here. Like, just... He, he, and he won't come down. I mean, he, he is, he's in more fear of Undertaker losing the streak than the Druids are. Just like, oh, man. Like, I think we might be out of a job, fellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love to think that he takes them all to the In and Out Burger after the match in costume. I just want to, I just want to say thank you. Hey man, happy, happy. What do you want to eat, man? You want what? You want a shake? I'll get you a shake. One of the guys' names is Happy. Yeah. <laughs> happy man. I, I just want to, you know, just thank you for being the third guy in line. I know you wanted second, but uh, you know, it's really important to me <laughs> that you took that place. So we get another ten count last ride spot. Uh Damn it! I, I just I'm just getting so tired of that. Batista, I always you know when when he when he when he would do it and when I would watch the product at the time, I never really liked it, but I like it now. I really do like the Batista bomb. Uh, it, it 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 has a cool little look to it. Uh, of course, to no avail. It does no good. Um, Taker ends up hitting him with the tombstone. Just one gets a three count. This is a a solid match. Yeah. I, I I'm a, I'm a big fan of this one. I give this one a seven. Um, this is what I had written for this. I, I'm not going to say Batista didn't have good matches as a singles competitor in WWE, but let's face it, there weren't that many great matches in his catalog. But his defense of his world title is definitely one that fits into that category. Undertaker sets him up perfectly by letting him go toe-to-toe with Taker in the beginning and mostly gaining the advantage. Taker here, like many of his matches since 2000, does this Terry Funk wobble when he gets into a fisticuffs with other wrestlers. Oh, when he holds his fists up? Yeah. Just, oh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man like, and the Billy Bean Burrito is fighting back yeah. I should not have gone to Hungry Howie's beforehand <laughs> I regret this decision oh man one more Batista bomb and I'm shitting these trousers <laughs> but the striking is not the full story of this because by and large Batista is a weak striker, whether it's his fists or shoulder blocks. His strikes, yeah. just, they just look funny. Like, 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 do you remember how how just on, off the rails Michael Cole goes just for Batista doing a shoulder block off the top rope? I know. I, it... <laughs> what is he doing? What is it? Oh, God, I have never. It was just a shoulder block, mind you, but I have never. Like, my God. The... Like, calm down, man. The brawl on the outside causes the match to really heat up, and you can see Taker walking him through through how long to stay out there, which I, I love. You can tell him, he's like, go break the count. Go break the count. He tells yeah, I did hear that a few times. And it's fine. Yeah. Like, he's walking. And there's through. nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, 
it gets a relative, um, what is it? Okay, the power slam through the table is sold like it's the end of the world. And even though it's just a power slam, I feel like, you know, it, it, you can't overlook it because what I think is neat is it takes them a bit to get back in the ring and it's a logical two count. Like it's not one of those things where they do it and immediately cover. I think that was nice the way they, they right. gave it some time to breathe. Um, in the in the context of when this WrestleMania took place, I don't think it would, it would have been implausible for Batista to win, especially in the wake of his comeback after the injury after his injury and definite high place on the card. Let's also face it: if Batista had broken it in 07, the backlash would have been definitely less severe. But from this match on, the streak seems to be more important than ever. Undertaker looks again up to up to this point in the best shape of his career. Somehow, I think we can argue through the 2000s, The Undertaker might have been one of the few wrestlers who really benefited from the brand split all the way around as a character and a worker. I don't know that 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 might be an interesting discussion to have with a wider subject pool, but overall, though, it's another very physical match that The Undertaker has with a large, sometimes clunky worker. It stays away from the dead spots and sticks to the strengths of Batista. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I agree. It's 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 got rewatchability and it's solid. And um, and and, and I mean, the, the Batista Undertaker feud is really good. Yes. Like, like it, it's 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 interesting how few people there are that Undertaker doesn't match up with well. Like, like the fact that he could go with these new guys. And um, and to Batista's credit, he looks like a main eventer. He looks like the real deal in this match. And he's another one of those guys, man, who he's one of my favorites in terms of. How does the world title look around his waist? It looks awesome. And oh my it looks awesome. God, yeah. I, I, like uh, Ric Flair for me will always be number one in that category, but but Batista looks so damn cool with that belt around his waist. Let, let me ask uh, you this real quick. What what do you make of JBL's weird commentary where he makes it feel like well, I don't know what's going to happen to SmackDown now. I don't know what's going to oh. happen. It does. It's so weird. He acts like the Undertaker is the biggest heel on the planet. Yeah, it's, it, it, JBL. I mean, it, it's just it's just his commentary. Um, he tries to add weight to situations that that, that don't have a, any weight to add on to. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of moments like that. Like one thing I hate about JBL's commentary is how um, he would always, especially in regards to the people like the Undertaker and John Cena, he he wouldn't necessarily talk about the match so much. He would talk about his history with that opponent and what it takes to put them down, and and he would harp on that way too much yeah. and, and and not necessarily talk about the strengths or the weaknesses of of that character or the character that he was uh facing because i don't remember him saying a whole lot in the commentary about batista um, no i don't think yeah. so either i think he focused a lot on the undertaker which i mean i get it they're also i'm not he was in the he's in bones he was in the bones he was bone street crew yeah, and you know from the Bradshaw days, and uh, so I, I mean I get it, but I, I don't think it helps the, the situation any. And you know, like it's, I, I've been harping on Michael Cole's just reactiveness to the whole thing, but I thought I thought Cole did a decent job for the most part uh, in the match. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty solid. It's a, it's a, it's it's the I think it's the best match so far. Uh, on uh, on this episode at least. Yes, and it's. Um, it, I, I think it will. It, I, well, we'll see what the next one. Well, I, well, I, I, well, yeah. So let's let's get into our final match. So um, at, like let's, so after after Mania they go to Backlash. They have a rematch, Batista and the Undertaker in a Last Man Standing match that ends in a draw when neither man 
uh, was able to answer the 10 count, resulting in The Undertaker retaining. On the May 11th episode of SmackDown, The Undertaker and Batista fought in a steel cage match that ended in a draw when both men's feet touched the floor at the same time. After the match, guess who? Mark Henry made his return and assaulted an already exhausted Undertaker. God damn it! After <laughs> Man, I thought I was uh, shit. He's not in the ca- He ain't in the casket still. Oh, which by the way, <laughs> we probably need to mention the Sarah tattoo now is begun its fade away. Oh yeah, yeah, it's already started. He's, he's, he's writing her out. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> yes. rest in pieces. <laughs> so, um, Mark Henry assaults the exhausted Undertaker. After which, Edge oh. ran to the ring and cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase, forcing Undertaker into a second title defense. Although he kicked out of two quick pen attempts, the Undertaker was pinned by Edge after a spear and lost the title. Sounds During, very similar to the John Cena cash-in. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And remember, that's a weird cash-in, too, because he technically steals it from Kennedy. Right, right. During Taker's rehabilitation, Henry bragged about his assault on the Undertaker until vignettes began playing, promoting the Undertaker's return. Well, he should have known better. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Undertaker, oh, man. The, of course, The Undertaker returns at Unforgiven, defeating Henry. Batiste and The Undertaker reignited their feud at Cyber Sunday when the, with the fans choosing the special guest referee of Stone Cold Steve Austin. But, but, well, of course. <laughs> but Batista, uh, it says, but Batista the, uh, retained the title. So, okay, so he must have gotten off Edge. It just doesn't say it. They battled again inside a Hell in a Cell Survivor Series where Edge returned and interfered to help Batista retain the world title. In response That's to another this, great Cell match. Yeah, you're right. That is one that's not talked about a lot. Nope. In response to this, The Undertaker delivered a Tombstone Piledriver to Vicky Guerrero, the GM, on the next SmackDown, sending her to the hospital. Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Returning assistant general manager Theodore Long declared a triple threat match for the title at Armageddon, which Edge won. At No Way Out, The Undertaker defeated Batista, Finley, Kali, MVP, and Big Daddy V in an Elimination Chamber match to become the number one contender for Edge's World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 24. I wonder what the odds were on Big Daddy V. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> You're not a betting man, are you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I love those those uh, elimination chamber matches where they just have to fill a spot. Right. You know, it's like, oh, uh, we know he's not going to win. But so, so yeah, so we have Undertaker versus Edge. And um, this is very interesting because it's not talked about enough in the commentary. It's only mentioned like once or twice throughout the show, but. Edge has not been beaten at WrestleMania either. Now, granted, he's been in a lot of tag matches, but uh, like TLCs and stuff like that. But he's always won, and and Edge has a really uh, great story coming into this. Not only that, but with that WrestleMania clout behind him, that gives him momentum. And it and Edge, I, I I got a little sad thinking about it because unfortunately, Edge only wrestles for another three years, and and that's unfortunate because he was such a great character and and, you know he was one of those guys during that attitude era that i never thought would become like a big singles competitor and a and and one of the big stars of wwe and you know how wrong i was uh he because you know i loved edge thought he was great and so he gets this great opportunity with undertaker and and this closes the show uh at at wrestlemania and this was a pretty stacked wrestlemania to begin with there was a triple threat 
with John Cena, Big Show, and I think it was was it Triple H. Well, remember, Big Show was in the match with Floyd Mayweather. Right. Sorry. Sorry. So it's John Cena, but I think it's John Cena, Batista, and Triple H. Um, in, Is in it that not match, Randy? Is it Randy and Triple H? See, like it gets it gets interchangeable at this point. No matter what, this is the oh. match where John Cena does the AA with both of them. Oh, that's uh, next year on his man. shoulder. That's next year. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's at, at twenty five. That's Big Show and Edge that he does that too. We were there. We okay. were at, remember at the bar we watched that one. Uh, twenty five. Yeah, well, tw- yeah, because twenty five is, is Randy Orton and Triple H. But anyway, so twenty four. So it's got it's got that. It's also got. Uh, one of my favorite WrestleMania matches of all time, and I, I ended up rewatching it because of the nostalgia that's been kicking in over the last few months. But Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair um, is is just one of the best matches. I, it's top to bottom, like a nine out of ten. It's so it's so good. So Undertaker and Edge have to follow all of this, and follow it they do. And Edge gets to, I, I don't I don't think it was right before the match, but I happen to catch a promo that edge gave backstage uh before the match and it's one of the best edge promos i don't remember this promo but it was so good how he related what was happening right now to wrestlemania 6 and when he was a kid and and he's and he was he he said he was the biggest hulkamaniac in canada and he and he loved hulk hogan and he goes and you know what happened to hulk hogan he lost and 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 you know what else got lost (laughs) this is the best my innocence (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I'm going to do to all these kids that are out in the audience right now that are rooting for the Undertaker. I'm going to st- I'm going to I'm going to steal their innocence from them. And and it was just it was kind of cheesy, but it was so damn cool how how he could take something that that is legit from the past. Because he said there's probably a kid out there tonight like me who thinks that 16 and 0 is possible. It's not possible. And it's it's so good. And it's such a departure from the edge that we knew from the first like year or two it's really well put together and it should also be noted that this is this wrestlemania is in uh this is in florida yeah and this is the first this is the two important things that that happened in wwe before this mania one this is the first wwe wrestlemania in the pg era and and how they're going to go about doing that also this is the first wrestlemania in hd and going from all these matches into this with the widescreen aspect ratio with everything looking clear it was a drastic change going from wrestlemania's 21 through 23 into this i'd go one step further charlie it's also the first ones outdoors in an arena like this they don't oh this is the first modern wrestlemania and i mean modern in terms of where they are right because because 21 through 23, with the exception of Ford Field, Ford Field was in an enclosed stadium. Right. But 21 and 22 were in arenas uh, at the Staples Center. And um, basically, uh, it's not the Rosemont Horizon. No, it but, was the um, Fleet Center. I, I always call it the Fleet Center, but it's in Chicago. That's yeah, Boston, yeah. isn't it? Well, yeah, no, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, I forget what it was called. God dang it. Uh, I'll look it up. But, right, go ahead. But no, like it's it's open air. It looks great. The only thing that would concern me about being there is, uh, well, two things. One, uh, the pillars that hold up, you know, basically so that if it rains, it doesn't rain on the wrestlers or anything. Like if you were sitting behind one of those pillars, I mean, you were screwed. So like that's one negative. I also think I want to say this is the mania where the pyro went off at the end and, and hurt people. Um, that made that made news. I remember. I think it's this mania. 
It was All State. Dirt is a real quick. It was in Rosemont. It was the All State Arena. So it that oh, was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. So like like about like 40 people got hurt. Nobody was seriously injured, but uh, you know WWE had some shit to deal with there. But this this match like like there's a lot of there's a lot going into it. Um, I'm gonna crush his spirit and take away his youth. That's what Edge said about the kids in the crowd. I, I love it. Uh, there's a great video package showing the story. Uh, Taker uh, it definitely thinks that this could be it. Uh, he is in fear for his life. Like there, there, there are these these druids come out, but this time they don't walk to the ring. They kind of uh, they kind of like make a butterfly pose basically, and they go off to the sides. And as Taker comes down and just hellfire and brimstone, I'm like, you know, I'm at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, it's just Edge. <laughs> you know, oh, real but, quick, Charlie, which made in our we didn't mention it in one of his entrances, he like he quote unquote levitates to the ring. Which, oh, okay, 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 yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was so dumbfounded that I didn't bother to write anything down. Thank you for bringing that up. So I want to say, I want to say it's against Mark Henry. Uh, he, he levitates to the ring. You've, you've seen this. It's not a big deal. Taz is just like a newborn baby. I mean, he doesn't know what to make of this. He's like, well, I don't, like you can see he's moving, but the legs aren't, well, I don't know how he's doing it. You know, it's levitating or something. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you got it. He, he's on, he's like, like, I'm trying to like, it's, it's another one of those situations where I'm like, if wrestling were real. You know, and, and and Taz is seeing this and just like you can't put two and two together that he's probably on some kind of motorized cart with wheels <laughs> that's just carrying him to the ring. He's just, well, I don't know. I just, I, you know, not for nothing. But, you, know, you know, I mean, me personally, I'd be a little freaked out. You know, nine times out of ten, this is when the opponents lose, you know, when they're when they're in fear of the dead man. Just shut up. My God. Not for nothing, of course. Yeah. Not, not for, for nothing. nothing. <laughs> but uh, so Edge comes out, and Vicky Guerrero must just be in the back taking a shit because I mean, <laughs> I mean she has taken her time, and Edge is just like, you know, the song is already like in the middle, and you know, and you're like, you know, this is like where he would pose on the ramp, and just oh this day, you know, it's just like, and Edge is just like, come on, come on. So Vicky comes out in the wheelchair. Uh, it's. It's great. This is where the moment is another moment's brought that can build momentum for Edge that uh, Edge has never in any situation lost to The Undertaker. And we'll see this come up in later episodes. But uh, like this is really that's a really interesting mark. And um, so the match, the match begins. And I'll see if I can get through these notes and remember exactly what it is I'm talking about. Um, Oh, yeah. Taker. So he whips Edge into the turnbuckle and then, like, goes to – I don't know what he was trying to do, but, I mean, it's just a fuck-up. And Taker just tumbles over the top rope to the outside, lets out a hellacious hair-type scream. <laughs> and I don't really know what he was going for. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. We get to see a great Taker dive. Um, uh, it, Edge, man, this was a fuck-up if there ever was one, man. He gives a belly to back suplex to Undertaker on the uh, on on one of the barricades, and and you know the barricades like those always look safe. Taker actually lands backward instead of forward and hit and goes back first into the crowd, and he lands next to a delicious pair of legs. 
and 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 Taker is just like out in the crowd. And I love that. You know, it's all we talk about how fans like to touch wrestlers. You know, like if they walk by and they just pat them real quick. Taker is out on the ground, and nobody's doing anything. Like they're just still sitting in their chair, just just kind of looking down at him. And um, and you can actually read Taker's mouth, like saying, "Oh fuck." <laughs> And it's and it's great. Will are you there? No, I'm still here. Are you there? Okay, okay, great. I was like, yeah, there's no selling. Fuck. Uh, but no, Taker just you can mouth and just fuck. Oh god. Yeah. And Edge is Edge is uh, kind of distracting the audience and like doing his poses, trying to get people to 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 to, to not pay attention to Taker so the Taker can get up. Uh, Edge, I, I I really didn't think that because I didn't remember. I really didn't think they were going to go through with this spot, but Edge superplexes the Undertaker off the top rope. Yeah, and it spot. looks incredible. Yeah. I mean it's it's so good. And then of course, Edge has to give the Taker a ten count punch. <laughs> and, Man, and, uh, this is what's and, this is what's bad about watching these over and over to back back to back matches. You know, like you just it hurts. And 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 what doesn't help is that is that Jonathan Coachman. We have to mention he's on commentary. And Coach, I always kind of liked Coach on commentary, but and this isn't his fault. But right before the ten count punch, uh, Coach makes a comment about how Edge has clearly been watching the tapes because he was able to counter a snake eyes. Uh, he snake eyes his edge. And then as Taker goes into the ropes, edge immediately drop kicks him. And coach is like, Oh, Edge has been watching the tapes. Like he's been studying. That's great. I'm like, well, if that were the case, then he would have never gone for a 10 count punch. All you have to do is watch the mania matches. Right. And, and, uh, and it, it kind of it undermines uh, the moment there for edge. And yeah, and it does hurt. Cause I think we've seen this four times in a row now. Um, and so, uh, Edge is able to counter the Tombstone pile driver with the Edgematic, and it and it looks great, like really cool. Uh, there's a great ref spot here. I mean, I think Taker had it out for Jimmy Corderas, <laughs> but like you can see Corderas just kind of slowly step in. He's it out really of position. Didn't look like yeah, he, he's, he's not. He's out of position. <laughs> it definitely didn't look like he wanted to do it, and Taker is like, "Oh, you're gonna do it," and. <laughs> He big boots him like to Pluto, and and Cordero is just 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 he's out. And I love this. I always forget about this, but Taker hits another tombstone. Amazing. Charles Robinson, the MVP, has to make a mad dash from the ramp to the ring, and that's when I really realized how long that ramp was. Charles Robinson is booking it, trying to make it to the ring, and he looks hilarious when he's running anyway. Um, Edge ends up like hitting uh, Taker with the camera, and this was a callback to uh, something that had happened prior. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the callback was, but Edge had done this, I believe, to Taker once before to steal a win. Um, Edge hits a spear, gets the two count, uh, and this is one of my favorite finishes of all time. Edge hits another spear, and it's like, holy shit, he's going to win. And that's when Taker locks in the Hell's Gate. Because Edge uh, hesitated. And, I mean, it's just death. Like, watching Edge squirming. And I guess they hadn't named the move yet. Because it, it, what Michael Cole, if he doesn't know what to call the move, he just, that's that submission move! And he keeps repeating that. It's just, oh, I wish it had been called I the Hell's Gate. I think he calls it the Hell's Gate. I think he I does. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. I kept hearing him say, that's that submission move. We've seen this. And uh, the crowd knows what it is, apparently, because, I mean, they come alive 
when when Taker uh, snaps out of it and is able to put, to lock him into it. And and uh, I, I, I didn't mention earlier, but uh, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins do show up, and Taker does a hellacious choke slam. He choke slams Zack Ryder into Kurt Hawkins on the floor. And it, and it, it, it just, it's just the end <laughs> for them. It just looks awful. And anyway, so Edge ends up tapping out uh, to the Hell's Gate. Taker gets the win, wins the world title, gets a hell of a celebration with the pyro and the majesty that comes with it, and gets the 16-0. and 0. This, if, if it's not my favorite Taker Mania match at this point, it's my second favorite. Uh, this, this is just... It's, it's almost as good as the Ric Flair match. Um, I'd give this an 8 out of 10. Easily. Um, I was going to start off with... I've, I've heard Edge say before on a podcast, I believe that... Uh, or somebody asked me a question, like, why didn't you ever have Metalingas play your theme? And he was like, it was talked about, I think, for this mania that Metalingas would play him to the ring. But... but um, his argument against him was like, "I'm a heel. That would make me look more like a face if I had that band because it's an awesome theme song." Well, that's true, it, but Triple H did that with Motorhead. He doesn't, you care. know, when he, he was oh, a no, heel. he doesn't. Oh, uh, right. You know, he, but, but that, I guess that is true. I, I I have seen Alter Bridge do that song live uh, on YouTube. Oh, I meant and, Alter Bridge. I think I called the Metalingus, but that's what. Oh I mean. well, yeah, that's what well, I meant. First, well, first of all, that's an awful name for the song. I don't understand why it's called that. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's 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 probably the best example of the greatest song ever written with the worst title. <laughs> it's it's it an, just uh, it, it's a great theme. It is a it's, great. Theme. Oh, it, oh, it's it's got to be a top 10 uh, for in terms of a, if a band, especially if a band did your song. Yeah, um, I, it just, you know, I remember I, it, like even being at WrestleMania 27 and and you, you think you know me and just that drum intro. And it's just like you just get so pumped. You can't help but headbang. Yeah. To that song, you're like, it's Edge, yeah. you know, and it's just like, and, and it's hard for me to look at him as a heel when you've got such a cool song that just gets your blood pumping, and you know, and that I I do miss hearing that song, uh, you know, ever since his retirement, and it would have been cool if they could have gotten Alter Bridge to do it because, like I said, I've seen them do it on YouTube live, and and the crowd loves that song. Yeah. Uh, it, so it carries a lot. Yeah. So that yeah, that's probably that's probably a missed opportunity. But I, uh, I'm not sure if this is also one of the first times. It may have happened before this, but I heard Edge talk about like I think this is also um, one of the first instances where the Undertaker gets into like heavy rehearsal before a match with the guy he's going to be wrestling. Like they work it out a lot beforehand, mm-hmm. which is cool because that I, I don't mind that. See, I know there are people out there and they hear that stuff. Like it it takes away from the the. It takes away from the ad, like I don't know. It takes away from the match. I'm like, why? Like it's rehearsal. Like I, I don't want to go see a play on Broadway and it's the first time they're getting up there off their on their oh, feet I've, doing it. I've never understood it. Like like people criticize like the way Randy Savage would do matches. And um, I mean honestly, like from a theater background, you know stuff like that. If I was a wrestler, I would think I would want to do it like that. Yeah. You know where it's it's like no, let's, let's get it all worked out so that there's no mistakes and. And that's why I mean, I mean, look at people still look back at the Savage Steamboat match as one of the greatest matches of yeah, all time, of and that is, that is that match was scripted out to a T. Like there was there was no room for error. Uh, um, so I get that. I, I, um, I love what, what, the way Taker positions himself in the match. All right, we're, I'm gonna he's gonna let Edge basically take out his lower back and work 
his midsection, make it difficult for him to be able to do his power set. It's very smart. It's a great psychology for the heel because it's, it's taking away what Undertaker does the best. That's why it's awesome that there isn't a tombstone to win. He has to break out yet something else. He has to adapt. And I think Michael Cole says that the Undertaker continues to adapt his offense through the years. I love his, like for a while it just seems like Edge is like, uh-uh, I ain't taking old school. Because I think Undertaker tries it right. twice before it works. But there's one time where Edge pulls him and Taker rolls out of it. So he counters the counter. And it's really right. neat. It's a great, great move. And um, yeah, I, I just absolutely love the way it, it builds to that. Because um, just, seeing, just seeing him kind of on the defense, having to... And, and it's funny because it's Edge. It's not like it's Batista or Diesel or or Sid. It's like it's Edge, who's a guy who's, you know, definitely like definitely his smaller, and it's not his equal by any means in terms of size. And he is taking it to him, and he's being very smart about it. Where it's not like he's he's hitting him with heavy power moves. He's hitting him strategically, and that's what's very interesting about it. I thought there was a missed opportunity where they didn't talk about the Brood and the the Ministry. Um, right, I thought that would have been. They were tied together because of that. That's that would have been kind of neat to see because then it's like now I'm the one who's over you. You know, would have been a nice right. like add to the whole thing. But yeah, I mean the the finale. Of this what would match, you give it? Oh, I, I, I'm right with you. You gave it an eight. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with an eight with it. It's I I will tell you like I remember what I rated. I I think I rated this, the Flair Taker match a nine. I, I think I'm not sure, um, but I I will say I had not I had actually not seen this match at all before watching it for this podcast. And when I saw it, I was like, that match like I I I would have to put it over the Flair the Flair Taker match, just because like it's the, what it does for both guys is really incredible. I think sure. it's it's you think it's better than Flair. I would put it over it now, yes. I would put 24 over uh, X. I think it's definitely arguable. It's definitely arguable. And and, it, and it, Edge does not look weak here. He had a moment of hesitation, and that's what caused him the match. Yeah. And and I think I, I, I think that was a great way for him to go out. Even by tapping out, I think Edge still looks strong as hell in this match. Uh, one more thing I'll say about that, about that theme, because I just remembered this. Um, I told you I went to uh, Royal Rumble 2010 yeah. at the uh, Phillips Arena. I have never in my life uh, heard a reaction like that. And I've been to a lot of wrestling events, but that was Edge's comeback. And when he when he entered that Royal Rumble, that was the one that he won. And he was coming back from injury. When that theme hit, everyone jumped up and the, the whole place exploded. Like I, and, and, I've, and I've been there with uh, Austin. You know, I've seen Austin come to the ring and, and stuff like that. But I, I've never heard a reaction like that. Yeah. And, and just people just losing their minds. And, and, and I think a big part of that has to do with that song. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, which I've, goes I've got the averages out. Okay, go for it. Go for it. So, I gave the show a 6.4. Uh, you gave it a 7. Uh, our overall average, 6.7. This is, I mean, the highest rated episode we've had yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. And that, we knew uh, that was obviously. coming. And I think it's only going to get better. Yeah. Oh, part. my God. I mean, yeah. It, I think this. I mentioned earlier. I think this is one of the most important packs of his matches, just because he um, it lays the groundwork. It does, and I think like the evolution of the WrestleMania match for him is evolving to where like it's becoming this big, 
like once a year spectacle for the Undertaker. Like he's not going to have a match of of this magnitude throughout the rest of the year. He'll have other good matches, of course. You know that may still be a part of a feud with that wrestler at Mania. But I also think what's great is each of the guys. We had mentioned it with Randy Orton. It's probably his best Mania match. It's definitely Batista's best Mania match. I would dare say it's Edge's best too, not counting TLC two. Right. Um, I agree. And I mean, Mark Henry. By that's far. a given. Um, that that it's <laughs> probably Mark Henry's best match too. And I think that shows you though the Undertaker throughout the two thousands is figuring out how to be able to not have a good match himself, but how do I get a good match out of my opponent? What are their strengths? What will what what can they do awesome that will work with me? And that's why. I understand where people come from about Shawn Michaels as being this best overall worker. I just, what The Undertaker does with these Mania matches from basically 2005 all the way into what we're talking to 2013 is remarkable. I agree. And we're going to get into those. Yeah, we've got two episodes left. So. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be weird to say on a podcast, but I do have to get going, unfortunately. Uh, you know, life calls, I guess. But um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, wish Jason could have been here with us. But uh, no, like this is this has been good. Uh, we'll be back. Hopefully, in a couple of weeks, we're not sure, but it'll be the the fifth episode where we again we will cover WrestleMania is twenty five against Shawn Michaels, twenty six against Shawn Michaels, twenty seven against Triple H, twenty eight against Triple H, and then twenty nine against CM Punk. And, um, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. I'm at William Rankin 83. I am at CM underscore Stabs. Jason, he's at, uh, at the Jason Kiesler. And Martin is at Bunny Suicida on Twitter. And we will see you guys hopefully in a few weeks for the next installment of The Undertaker's Run Through WrestleMania. You think you know me.